Steve Allen. What's it seven pieces? Seven pieces and five fries or four... Oh, I don't know. It's too much to think about this time of the morning. It's wet. There's a surprise. Just when you're all heading back to work, it's raining. Well, strangely enough, on the day off yesterday, it was dry, and then it got wet. So I kind of did everything earlier on. And then we talked about cosmetic surgery the other day. This is before we knew about Francis Barber. And the only thing that worried me about cosmetic surgery is that if you decide to have anything done, just supposing you think, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll just have maybe my nose adjusted a little bit. And then you have that done, and then the rest of it looks a bit wrong. So then you go back in, so then you have the other bits done, and then the nose doesn't quite look right again, so you go back in, and you end up in this, in this never-ending circle, I'm afraid, of having cosmetic surgery done. And it's quite expensive. Frances Barber's saving up for it. I'll give her some money when I see her next. She comes into LBC, and uh, I see her at her bare-naked self, ladies and gentlemen. I have seen Frances Barber naked, absolutely stark naked, with no makeup on her face whatsoever. You know, for television. But that's what she does for a living. You know, for, as she says, I'm 54, I feel 26, and I act 12. I'm kind of roughly the same myself. Somebody said to me once, why don't you act your age? And I said, if I acted my age, you'd be talking to a pile of dust. OK? So let's kind of get this thing in perspective. Nobody wants to act their age. Nobody wants to look old. Nobody wants to look haggard. But you make the best of yourself as you can. It's, it's the clothes thing, isn't it? It's, you know, am I dressing for my age? And you don't know what your age is. Because if you look at people, you say, I tell you, I, mean, I, I reckon you could actually take a load of, say, 58-year-olds and every single one would look completely... Some would look haggard. Because I see people on television appearing on quiz shows and they come along and they go, and how old are you? And they go, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. And you go, blimey. You know, I'm 43. And you think, you look about 70. Perhaps somebody have had hard lives. Perhaps some people don't don't make any effort with their appearance. Perhaps some people just don't care about things like that. If you're an actress, it's fine. I always remember being a bit disappointed that when you see actresses and actors on stage, they always look very sartorial and they're wearing costumes and they've got makeup on and stuff like that. And it's all terribly exciting. And then when you see them walking out the stage door, they just look like any old Tom, Dick and Harry. Mainly not, not Tom and Harry. They're, uh, they, they just sort of walk out the stage door and you think, oh, there's no glamour. And that's why, you see, it's only on the stage. And unfortunately, if you're, you know, if you're constantly photographed by people, if you're constantly the subject of attention, people are looking at you all the time. You know, people, people meet radio presenters and they look at them and they think, oh, you don't look at all as I imagined you would look. And you go, well, you know, at one time you could have said that. But now, because of the internet and because of, of website, you could see what people look like. You know, you can, you can go to the LBC website and find five million pictures of Steve Allen. Loads of Nick Ferrari, loads of, loads of everybody. Not too many of Duncan. But uh, that's, he's, he's, he's waiting until he's had his emergency lipo, until he can sort of trim himself down a bit and then and sort of be the, the thin person inside that is trying to get out of his body at the moment. Because inside every one of us, there is a thin person. There is, there, there is, a, there is a thin person. Well, in my case, it's about three of them uh, trying to get outside. And uh, we all had our photos done here. They were all very nice indeed. We went off for our photo session. And, uh, and then you look at them and you go... And the funny thing is, everybody else picks the photos. And they go, we think you look good in that one. You think, are you serious? Because we all see ourselves differently. We all see ourselves looking... You know, men, of course, it doesn't matter. You can have ancient, you know, ancient... We don't want old women on television. What do you want old women on television for? Take them out and shoot them. I'm terribly sorry. There's no point in putting old women on television. Old women don't want to be on television. They do have a place on the television, but that's only if you can't pick up BBC Two properly. You can make old people sit there and hold the aerial. And that's... They're, they're fairly good for things like... You don't want to see them on television, do you? 
I mean, you don't want people, you know, fairly ancient, reading the news. Uh, it's, it's been a dreadful day today. The price of eggs has gone up. You know, you're not going to care, are you, really? What you want to see is somebody with their bosom resting just underneath their chin and on the counter. That's the kind of thing men want. It's dreadfully sexist, I realise, and of course it doesn't work like that. Well, women, I don't think... Well, women don't like watching women on television. They don't like listening to women on the radio. They don't like watching women on television. And women are far more bitchier than men. Look at the state of that mutton dressed as mutton. You know, everybody says that. Uh, if I was you, I wouldn't be wearing that colour ever again. You know, that doesn't suit you. That's why I'm a little bit upset that the Debenhams, you know, girls are not allowed to be rude to customers. Oi, fatty, don't bu- put it on the ra- back on the rail, all right? Don't even pick it up or even think about it. No, no, no. It's so... Re- love handles, you've got a set of luggage, love. Put it back on the rail, thank you. This is a store for thin people. Oh, blimey. If you want the oversized elephant stuff, down the road. Just think of the, the fun that the shop assistants are not going to be having today when they open up. That would that would make it interesting. I bet they all say that anyway, don't they? Don't you think shop assistants do that? I was a shop assistant once. I loved it. We were never rude to customers. You know why? Because in those days, you never thought about it. We never thought about being rude to people. I never thought about... When I was watching television, I didn't really care if somebody was attractive. It didn't come into the equation. For some reason now, it comes into the equation. Are people attractive on television? You would expect, if they're sitting... I mean, London tonight... I think from ITV has some of the most unattractive presenters I've ever seen in my entire life. I can only assume they must have sort of, you know, they were all in the ugly tree and they hit all the branches on the way down and then they, <coughs> excuse me, arrived at the uh, at the studio. Because, uh, you know, we do expect a certain standard. I don't know why we do. Perhaps it's been instilled in us, hasn't it, that, that you have to sort of have nice people to look at. Because if you're sitting there staring at the box, you want to be, you want to be impressed by somebody and think, that's a nice outfit. I like that. Like your hair. I used to sit there watching the girls on Sky News, as I used to call them, the little sort of, you know, the, 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 the auto cuties. And they would sit there reading and you think, your hair has not moved at all. I reckon there's a whole can of hairspray there. And some of the men too. Some of the men too. But they all wear makeup. You have to wear makeup on television because of the bright lights. Otherwise you'd just be looking at people who look a little bit blank. So... You know, when when Francis laments the disappearance of older women's faces from the screen, that's purely because the people putting the programmes together are age 12 and they don't know anybody of, of old age. So they only know young people. So that's why they put the drearies on, you know. And so you get the auto cuties who then, for some strange reason, think that because they're they're fronting a news programme and they're actually reading an auto cue, that makes them a journalist. 90% of them got no journalism experience whatsoever. You know, never written for magazine, never done anything. Might have done a couple of photo shoots for Hello magazine. And that's about it. You know, here is so-and-so, former weather girl, on holiday. You know, like we're then canvassing her opinions. So we do worry about the way people look on television, but it's not integral to the programme. It doesn't make any difference to me. You, you don't start questioning actresses, do you, in roles? You go, oh, Maggie Smith's looking a bit old recently. You don't think about things like that. You don't think about... You know, in... in uh, actually, it's quite ironic, isn't it, really? The Frances Barber, big fan of this programme. Big fan of this programme. Uh, she's she's in Silk. She's playing a seductive QC. Of course, as I've d- just done my, my jury service, we'll have so much in common. We can now have... We're, we're, on, we're on the same level playing field now, Frances and I. I mean, I thought about a bit of surgery, but my bank manager threatened to close the account down. She said, if you have anything like Botox or anything like that... And I thought, well, you know, why not? She said, you don't need it. I said, well, you're very kind, very kind, but I mean, I wouldn't mind a little bit. I, d- I did go out the other day, I was going to buy some more creme de la mer cream. 
which is the very expensive £120 a pot cream. But it's it's a little miracle in a pot. Now, I've got one of their under-eye creams at the moment, which I haven't used for a little while. So I think if, if you use it all the time, then I think it kind of defeats the object. So uh, I've, I've sort of left it for about a week and a half. And then I went in the other day to try and find some more, because they do two under-eye creams. One is puffy eyes and one isn't. And I couldn't remember which one I've got, so I had to go home and find out. And so I, didn't, I ended up not buying it, which you're probably very uh, relieved at discovering, because £120 for a pot of cream. But as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's cheaper than actually putting any needles or knives near your face. That's the only thing that worries me about cosmetic surgery. They're going to do it with knives, and they're going to cut your skin open. And a friend of mine had, well, Dale had it. He had a facelift. He went over and he wasn't going to have a facelift. And I think they twisted his arm and he had this. Well, it looked like he'd been in a fight. I kid you not. If ever you have a full facelift, which is tucking behind the ears and neck and all the rest of it. When you come out, you cannot be seen in public for ages. Bruises like you've never seen. I mean, it, well, it looked seriously like he'd been in a car accident. It was it was just Terrible. Absolutely awful. Your eyes go, you're bruised around you. Because what it is, somebody's taken a knife whilst you're under, under, under anaesthetic and they've cut into your skin. And when they cut into your skin, that's, that's invasive. It's bad enough having a shave in the morning. Although there was an experiment done in the paper a short while ago of three or four women who decided not to shave at all for, I think, the best part of six months. So they didn't shave their upper lip. They didn't shave anything, they didn't shave under their arms, they didn't shave under their legs, they didn't shave their, their legs or anything like that. So they started looking a little bit East European, because that, that is quite a look. East European women, they don't particularly bother about underarm hair. It's only in the West that we go, oh, underarm hair. You know, and this woman had grown it so long you could plait it. It was that exciting. And so we, and they, they, we had an actress over here a while ago, and when she lifted her arm up, people go, oh, she's got hair under her arm, because you don't expect to see it, do you? And yet I'm sure that cave men and women years and years ago didn't start going, darling, you're not going out the cave today to hunt dinosaurs unless you've shaved. I'm terribly sorry, you know, we're going to do the whole thing. You know, and you do see elderly people in supermarkets where, you know, my auntie Enid is practically growing a beard at the moment. You know, there's nothing she can do about it, it's just the way it is. And, and frankly, she looks attractive with it, so we thought we'd leave it with her and, uh, and sort of let it just take its course, as it were. So I wonder really, I mean, I, I, I do agree, people like to look their best on television, but, and I don't think we care about getting old. The only thing, I think Francis would probably agree, is the ageing process. I don't, I don't mind about getting older, you just think, I wish it was going a bit slower. Because, you know, when you, when you sort of look, at, and she says, I'm, she, she's 54, well, I'm, I'm a wee bit older than Francis Barber. And, and, and you sort of think, I don't like the, the ageing process. Because it only seems like a short while ago that you were sort of 20s and then 30s. And then once you've gone through it and you're in 40s, and then, 50, and then of course, you're on to the next one, which is, which is the biggie. And that's the one that frightens people. Every time I open up the paper, so-and-so had a heart attack at the age of 29. So-and-so has a heart There's a bloke on the front page of the paper today who was saved... By, uh, by Dustin Hoffman. He was running in the park, he's a jogger, and he's 27, and he collapsed with a heart attack at 27. And you think, I don't want that, that kind of existence. I quite like the idea that I can get up in the morning. That's why the alarm goes off. And I woke up really early last night. I went to, I went to bed really early, because the weather was foul and it was miserable, and I watched my films, and, and I'd done my phone calls, and I had my tea and everything else. And I thought, I'll climb into bed. So I woke up, and I thought, oh, it feels like the alarm's going to go off. You know when you lie there, and you can almost predict it. 
And so I thought, I'll just go to the bathroom. So you go to the bathroom, I've got the biggest clock in the world in the bathroom. You can't miss it, even if you're half asleep. And, and I looked at it, and it said 20 past 12. And I thought, oh, I've got ages. ages. I climbed back into bed again, discovered where, where the hot water bottle had disappeared to, and, uh, and happily nodded off for, for, for an hour and, and a bit, and then got up, and then had my shower and all the rest of it, and I'm going off to a screening today. But I, 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 I do like living. I think, you know, given the choice, I think living's kind of better. But it's, it's the ageing process. We don't mind getting old. We just wish it was a bit slower, thank you very much indeed. You're not sure how many years you can cram in, are you? When I, when I see Frances, I shall mention this to her. She'll probably, she'll probably say, I agree with everything you say, Steve. I agree with everything you say. And yes, your bum does look very big in those jeans. It's uh, 16 minutes past four. LBC 97.0 Allen. Morning, 18 minutes past four. Thank you, Glyn Perkins. Morning, Glyn. I trust you all well. Glyn just sent us in a story. He works over in, uh, in Canada. But uh, he used to work for LBC back in, the, back in the Gough Square days. I'm constantly getting emails from people that used to work for LBC a long, long time ago. Uh, which is always nice, actually, just to find out where they are. Unfortunately, we, we, we lost one a short while ago. One of our uh, former news team was murdered in New Zealand. He used to work for a radio station. He worked for us for ages. And somebody had sent me a, an email saying, I think he's been attacked. And he was walking back from his radio station in New Zealand late at night, and he was attacked by two men, and he died as a result of his injuries, which was absolutely dreadful. So I sort of forwarded it on to all the people that, you know, were there in the, in the day when he was around. And I, I checked him out on the internet, and it, it was true. You know, sometimes you hope these things are just not going to be true at all. Uh, 84850 steve at I think journalists should do their own research, says uh, Samea. Uh, the trouble is that people don't do their own research. People, people very much rely on, on the newspapers. Of course, if the newspapers get it wrong, then the other person's going to get it wrong. And uh, birthday girl Sumi. Birthday girl. Well, this time of the morning, honestly, how lovely to have a, celebrate a birthday at this time of the morning. Depending on where you are, I suppose. You might be, you might be in a part of the world where it's absolutely fantastic and wonderful and, and super things like that. Can we put the, uh, the text messages up, please? Uh, 84850 steve at or 0845 uh, So we can talk about um, cosmetic surgery. There's some stories in the paper. There's not a great deal in the paper today. It's all blooming dancing dogs. And much as though we love dancing dogs and it's very cute, you know, it's, it, they said we've all gone potty for pudsy. No, we haven't all gone potty. I think some people are potty for pudsy, which, which is great. You know, but let's get over ourselves, shall we? It's just another dancing dog. There's loads of them. They're all over the blooming place, even on this programme. Uh, Dustin Hoffman makes the front page of the paper because he saved this man um, who had a, a heart attack in London's Hyde Park because Dustin is in town and he goes jogging sometimes. I've seen Dustin Hoffman jogging. I've seen Madonna jogging in town. I've seen loads of people jogging. The early hours of the morning, you do get a lot of celebrities. That's the best time for them to go out. You're not going to find Dustin Hoffman jogging around, really, during daytime hours, because somebody's going to go, look, it's Dustin Hoffman. Before you know where you are, you've got an entourage with you. Uh, Kylie Minogue and Cheryl Cole are being called into the voice to stop it croaking. I don't think Cheryl Cole's going to save it. I really don't. Did you see Talisa's performance on uh, Britain's Got Talent? <gasps> Can't dance. Can't sing. Song's quite nice, but uh, only the auto-tuned bits. I'm afraid. Only the auto-tuned bits. But in fact, all over the internet, people were saying, did you see Talisa's performance? I know the record's at number one, but you don't need to sell very many to get number one now. And it's a case of, you know, why, why did she bother? It's a free bit of publicity. Perhaps it's part of the deal with Simon. Go on there and then get to plug your own record, which is already at number one in the charts, because we had the same with Cheryl, going to fight, 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 fight for this love. 
or whatever it was, which was the most ghastly piece of trash I've ever seen on the television in my entire life. Now we have to put up with Will I Am. Oh, what a boring old has-been. You know, he has his own clothing line, and don't you know it, he's wearing it every programme. Every programme. Sometimes he can't be bothered with the programme. He just sends, you know, text messages backwards and forwards to people. And he thinks Cheryl Cole's going to be a big star. Got news for you, Poppet. She won't be. OK? We've seen enough of her. In fact, there was a very cruel bit. Very cruel bit. And it's, um... It's a bit that was in, um... Simon Cowell's book. And it talked about... I'm sorry, back to Simon Cowell's book, which was very popular, but it talked about uh, a journalist who went over there and was stuck at a table with Cheryl Cole. And unfortunately, Cheryl is not not very bright. And that's putting it politely. In fact, I think the terminology they used was, she's a bit thick. You know, so she sits there. She hasn't got any conversation. She has no conversation whatsoever because she's got nothing to talk about. And so that's why... It's a, it's a shame, really, you know. So she, she you know, because, you know, girls, because we're worth it. And, and she looks great, and that's fantastic. But don't ever sit down and try and have a conversation. You know, do you remember all those things when, when, when she was married? I can't remember who she was married to now. She was married to a footballer, Ashley Cole. And then Ashley cheated. And, and people were all saying, why would he want to cheat? It's because she was boring. <laughs> you know, come, in, come on. You only had to see her on the panel. She could, she go, hello, chicken. Well, yeah, I think you're really great and you're going to be fantastic. And then all these acts die. And then they cry and then we cry. And then she says, I mean, it's, it's, you know, she was just so lame. It wasn't good enough. It's almost as, as bad as if you want the worst job in the world, I found it for you. The worst job in the world is up for grabs. You can be... Naomi Campbell's personal assistant. Naomi Campbell, they believe, is advertising on a website at the moment, in an entertainment uh, careers.net website, and she's looking for a personal assistant. The trouble is she's looking for somebody um, with a very, very thick skin, because you know that Naomi Campbell is vile. You know that she's... I mean, she gives the impression she's all terribly... Po- she's from Streatham, all right? She's a Streatham girl. That's where she come from. That's where she belongs. You know, she's... Uh, it's, it's a bit of a shame, really. She thinks she's a bit highfalutin because she walks up and down catwalks. She's foul-mouthed. She's vile. She's rude. She's everything you can possibly think of. So the assistant has got to be very thick-skinned. And uh, brave job seekers are now being warned, you'll need to be on call 24-7. So, in other words, if Madam wakes up early, you know, and goes... Where's my tea? You have to get it for her. To be honest with you, I don't think any amount of money is is really going to cover for, for somebody like that. Who wants to work for somebody rude? Somebody rude and offensive. I tell you what, I've, I've always wanted to say, you know... Sorry, Naomi, is that you, love? Go get your own tea. I'm in bed. Bye. Put the phone down. You know, ring, 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 ring. What did you say to me? Go get your own tea, all right? Phone down, leave it. Do that two or three times. You'd soon find yourself out of work, wouldn't you? But it, it would be immensely funny. I said, do you remember after we told you about um, Andrew the other day, Prince Andrew? He was accused of lavish spending. He flies out on a private jet to visit the the poor in the slums of Mumbai, and doesn't want to stay in the uh, in the ho- in, in the uh, in the accommodation that's been booked for him. No, he wants to stay in a luxurious hotel. So Air Miles Andy rapidly becoming the biggest embarrassment of the royal family ever. Next, unfortunately, his former wife Sarah Ferguson. She's jumped into this one. She's decided. And so she, she, she went online to say, welcome back, the Duke from India. I mean, how old is this woman? I mean, <laughs> she's, she says here, congrats to his team for a gruelling trip. Congrats. Oh, dear me. You now know what level you're at with Sarah Ferguson. I told you, we knew 
when the when the royal wedding was going on, we knew where Sarah Ferguson was because a friend of mine, his wife, was in Thailand at an exclusive spa. And who pitches up, whether on a freebie or not, Sarah Ferguson, who barged in and took over this friend of mine's wife's place in the, in the massage. You have to pre-book it. And so they went, oh, sorry, Sarah Ferguson's jumped in on that one. So, uh, which was a bit of a shame, really. So she was very embarrassed. So we knew where Sarah Ferguson was. She was enjoying yet more free hospitality, I'm afraid. But uh, to jump in, congrats. The trouble is, I mean, she's she is naff. She's at a party the other night, isn't she, for her daughter's birthday. Her daughter's with a boyfriend. Very nice indeed. And they go out to a restaurant. supposed to mummy cooking at home because mummy lives in, in part of Prince Andrew's uh, estate, I think, in Windsor Great Park or somewhere like that. And because um, they had the, the house, South Fork, which is it's fallen apart. If you've seen pictures of it, you've never seen like it. Bought by a despot from some country who paid 15 million quid for it. It's not, it's not worth threepence. It's worth nothing at all. It's been stripped of all the things that were in it. And so Sarah Ferguson is out there, and she's sort of living free, free gratis, I think, which is quite nice. But she goes to this party for her daughter in the King's Road, and the guests get so drunk, Sarah Ferguson has to go around and apologise to people for people being drunk. And you think, it really is not good enough, is it? It really isn't good. But the Americans love her. The Americans love her. You know, the, the, the upper echelons of society behave badly. And Sarah Ferguson behave. You know, everything from the, the toe-sucking with sort of Johnny Bryant and all that kind of stuff. And then sort of, you know, the old jolly hockey sticks thing when she was doing It's a Royal Knockout. Another big embarrassment for the royal family, if you ask me. Organised by Princess Edward. Andrew. No, Prin- Prince Edward. And he, he was doing that one. And it was ghastly. The press were all called in, and Edward thought he was doing them a big favour by getting, you know, all the... I think Diana was there and Andrew, everybody. And he said, so, so, so what do you think of it so far? And the press went... <laughs> and he went, oh, well, thanks a bunch. The trouble is, because they're in this strange world... Which is, which is inhabited only by people who go, yes, yes, Your Majesty, you're looking fantastic today. You look wonderful. And, uh, and nobody ever criticised them. So every time Prince, Prince Charles tells an excruciatingly bad joke, people go, ha, 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 Not really funny at all, is it, really? And, uh, and, they, and, they sort of, and he thinks he's being funny. So consequently, you know, poor old Prince Edward, he wasn't, he wasn't quite prepared for the... Um, for the embarrassment, which was the It's a Royal Knockout. Worst thing they ever did. Worst thing they ever did. Second thing was, I think, Alistair Burnett taking the Queen Mother round her garden. And he, he's wandering around with her. And he's going, she went, trees. And he went, yes, yes, trees, Your Majesty. And they, 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 they don't have a lot of conversation. They, they, they really don't. We, we had it with, with the Queen as well. And she was sitting there with some pensioners. They'd taken her to this old people's home. And they'd said, you're going to sit down and have a cup of tea, ma'am. Uh, with, right. And so the cameras are there, and, and so she looks at them and she goes, so how is it in here? <laughs> Unless it's horse racing, they, ha- they have no, they don't know the real world. Diana was the nearest thing to it. It was more royal than the royal family. And the reason she knew more about it is because she was in the real world. She was a working girl. She went out there and did her nannying and everything else. The rest of them, don't, they don't do stuff like that. As I've said before, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, really, that the, the family who've never known the delights of pushing the trolley around Tesco, queuing up at three in the morning in Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, yes, I mean, if Kate, Kate, I don't think she's queued up at Kentucky Fried Chicken. She lives in the country, she lives near Newbury. Goodness sake, we don't even have a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Newbury. We don't do things like that. Fuck, is there a, they put one in? Well, it's gone right down Newbury. It's gone quite common now, hasn't it, really? The moment a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Poundland moves in. Oh, dear me. In my day, we, we just had the butcher on the bridge. 
with its homemade pork pies and everything else, and, and we didn't have any fast food shops. I think the first Chinese takeaway we had was called the August Moon, because I used to go there with my friend Dave at lunchtime, and you could get a three-course meal for pound nineteen pence. <laughs> Pre-war, that was. Pre-war, OK. pound nineteen, and we used, to have the, the, we used to have the Chinese food, because we thought we were being really exotic. We'd have Chinese food. You could have had the English menu, but we thought, no, 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 we're in a Chinese restaurant. I, rem- I could take you there now. First Chinese restaurant... Actually, there weren't a lot of cats around at the time. I think. Anyway, it was very strange indeed. But it was lovely. It was lovely. Sometimes, you know, if you saw a cat in town with four legs, it was a stranger. Because it quite clearly hadn't been anywhere around Newbury. But there's a Kentucky, is there? Good God, I shan't go to... Are you sure? I lived in Newbury for 12 years, and I, I haven't been for five years. I'm not sure. I don't think they'd allow it. They're a little bit, you know, don't like things like that. It's an old-fashioned market town. It's quite sweet, actually, if not a bit shabby. It's LBC 97.3. Time now, 4.30. <laughs> LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Uh, it's near the cor- How do we know it's near the Corn Exchange? You've Googled... Oh, dear me, it's gone right down, hasn't it? See you later. It's, uh, this is for the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. We'd never have allowed that years ago. We'd have voted that out straight away. We don't mind sort of, you know, anything else. A fish and chip shop and a Chinese takeaway, but not a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Ugh. Dear me. Mind you, the Corn Exchange has changed down in Newbury. That's sort of... They, it, it, it used to be one big place, because I performed there on many an occasion. And, uh, and now it's sort of different spaces. I think Lenny Henry started his tour there. I wonder where they put the Kentucky there. I know that area. Where is, it's not over the road. There's some shops over the road. Oh, it's near there. It must be on the outskirts. They must have shoved it on a trading estate. They can't actually have it in the... There is no space for it, actually, in the High Street. In Northbrook Street? No, not around there. Not in the marketplace because it's all estate agents, and there was a shop on the corner which is now a coffee shop. It's on a trading... I think it's on a trading estate over the other side of the road. I think as far away as possible from the town centre. <laughs> I must drive down there, actually, one evening and go and have a look. Panic Station, says Neil, yesterday I lay there half asleep debating when to get up when you mentioned half past seven. I thought, blimey, I've overslept. Hang on, no, it was a mention for the Beckham's daughter, half past seven. I know. We've had, we've had this, this one before, actually. It's gone on all the time, hasn't it? 84850, uh Jill has done uh, jury service at Isleworth twice. I'm so pleased to hear that, uh, that Sid is still there. He is an absolute treasure. He actually he has to, to keep people in line. This goes back to the conversation of yesterday on jury service, where we discovered that 90% of you appear to have been on jury service. And many of you have done Isleworth, and many of you know Sid. And uh, he, when people come in, he has to do the induction. So he has to say to you, listen, OK, my name's Sid, this is the jury, this is what happens. You'll come in here every morning, you'll be in here at 10 o'clock, because the courts start 10, 10.30, so you've got to be in there. And if you're not on a case, you'll come in and you will highlight your name on the board, so then you go back into the computer. And it's, it's really good, actually. Really, really good. So uh, I recommend it to anybody, which is, which is what we said yesterday. We actually said we will recommend jury service. I don't think anybody, even apart from the, the slight boring bit, you know, which, which does go on, which I said before, you must take a, you must take a book or a, or a laptop or something like that. You can take them into court. There's no problem with that at all. They have to be turned off quite clearly. Uh, Andrew and Keisha... So, as usual, we've been listening to the podcast. It's reminded me, Andrew, of my time during jury service, only just having turned 18. Highly unremarkable and very boring. 
But two things stood out. Firstly, during a stabbing case, they produced a knife in evidence, only for everyone to immediately agree it was not the weapon used and that nobody had ever seen it before. And secondly, the defence barrister had to twice wake up the prosecutor by dropping books noisily on the desk. There's a lot of falling asleep in court. You're not wrong. Our uh, judge, on on two of the cases, yawned, and I caught him yawning. But on the other time, I I did close my eyes. But uh, anyway, they say all love and good wishes to you, Noreen, and the Facebookers as ever. Yes, all out there, all out there today. Back to work today. Back to, has anybody managed to find cheap petrol? Every time I go past a Shell garage, in an effort to spend their outrageously disgusting profits, they close the garage down, and then they put all brand new pumps in, and then open it up again. They, they, they don't really care about you, they're just interested in making money. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's just petrol going in. You do, I don't care what the petrol station looks like. The people sitting behind the bulletproof glass couldn't care less either. And so they just sit there and they, uh, they push a button. Because sometimes it takes ages, doesn't it? It takes ages and ages. I hate putting money in. Hate, but pay, I mean, I'm, you know, to be honest with you, it is so expensive. £7 a gallon of petrol now. Let's face it, diet apple juice is £10.32 a gallon. It'd be cheaper to actually put petrol in. Uh, Lipton's iced tea, £9.52 a gallon. It's 16 ounces for £1.19, so you can work it out for yourself. Uh, Brake fluid, £33.60 a gallon. Wouldn't recommend putting brake fluid in there. Pepto-Bismol, £123.20 per gallon. Because that's £3.85 for four ounces. Tipex, £5.42 a gallon. And, and the real kicker, Evian water, nine ounces is one forty nine, which makes it £21.19 a gallon. All this useful information, and we know that Evian, spelt backwards, is naive. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, we've, that joke has been doing the rounds for so, so long. And he um, says, next time you're at the pump, be glad your car doesn't run on water or Tipex, Pepto-Bismol, or, God forbid, printer ink. Printer ink is phenomenally expensive. Phenomenal. I didn't realise how expensive it was. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for that one. 84850-stevenlbc.co.uk or 0845-6060973. Always good to uh, to hear from people. And thank you, Gloria, in Denmark. I totally agree. And uh, it's it's getting a little bit out of hand. A little bit out of hand, OK. So perhaps we'll draw a veil over that. Thoroughly enjoyed your conversation, says Sherry, with Ray Winston. What a lovely down-to-earth chap has been very talented. He was lovely, actually. It's the second time I've done Ray Winston on the programme, and I, I like him a lot, actually. like him a lot. Perhaps we should have to do Frances Barber. Perhaps we should get Frances Barber in for an in-conversation now she's doing this, this thing on the television, because we can talk about court cases and everything else. Uh, a couple of people missed the podcast yesterday. It was up there. The machine rejected it to start with. We, sometimes, when there's so many podcasts being downloaded, it took three times yesterday to download it. So, Mike and Epsom, it's all there now. There was no free podcast yesterday which, which I, I did tell people throughout the programme, because we did an extended programme anyway. But uh, the free podcast will be up there today. OK, at the end of the programme at 6.30 this morning, it will be up there. Lots of pictures of dancing dogs in the paper, and more on... Um, uh, this is Sam for Ears, uh, who's written a book about Essex. It's, it's about fake tans, topless modelling, uh, uh, Essex, and Sam on just about anybody she can think, to slag off. So she doesn't like uh, Amy Childs. She doesn't like uh, Lauren Goodyear. She said, so you, you, you can buy this book. Yeah, it's available now. I don't know who would buy it. I mean, I'm assuming somebody who's a bit sort of like that would probably want to buy I don't know why you would buy it. Who is remotely interested in a, in a 20-year-old who hasn't even lived 
She knows nothing at all. Knows nothing at all. It's called Living Life the Essex Way. No, it's called Living Life Your Way, dear. Which, luckily, 99.9% of Essex don't live like. Nobody dresses like this. Nobody behaves like you. Nobody kind of talks like you, babe. All that. Nobody talks like that in Essex. They're intelligent people. So do the thickos like you that appear on the television. It's not your fault. You can't help it. That's the way you are. But uh, she, she has urged the only way as Essex bosses to boot Lauren Goodyear off the show. Mind you, the, the one thing she does come up with, the only sensible thing that she said, which I've been saying for ages, is that nobody's got a job on there. None, none of the blokes have got jobs. Nobody's a builder. Nobody's a plasterer. They don't have jobs. They're just sort of... They're just Nancy boys, aren't they? You look at them, you know, Art, what does Arge do for a living? Does he have a job? No, he appears not to have a job. Does Joey Essex have a job? Not really. They don't, see, they don't seem to do anything. They don't have a, you know, what I call a, a, a skill... Well, not that I've noticed, unless somebody can tell me what these poor people do, because I've, I've looked and, uh, and don't seem to have seen anything at all, which is a bit of a, a, bit of a shame. Uh, uh, doesn't creme de la mer translate as fish paste, says Merle? I don't think so. I think it's probably... I think it's probably... Um, it's, it's, it's... What is it? Cream of the sea. Cream of the sea, dear, not fish paste. You're so common, Merle, aren't you? You can't help it. Fish paste. Cream of the sea. So that's what it means. Very expensive. I don't think it's the most expensive cream in the world. I don't think creme de la mer. Yeah, I, I think it's up there. I think there is another one which is more expensive. Uh, but to be honest with you, I mean, what were people using a short while ago? Was it bee venom? You could put bee venom on your... And that was apparently supposed to be quite... I didn't fancy that idea at all. That's like, as far as I was concerned, that was like putting stinging nettles on your face. Didn't work at all well. Uh, having talked about the uh, cosmetic surgery, there's a story about Ikea in the paper today. Oh, well, we might, like, might not like it after you've heard this one. Might not like it once you've heard where some of their furniture is made by prisoners in, uh, in, uh, in prison, uh, prison camps. Oh, yes. And then it turns out... I'll, I'll, I'll find the story for you and bring it to you after the, uh, the news. But uh, it's, it's an absolute terrible story. It's a terrible story. There's a, there's a link to, to, uh, to Nazis. There's a link... Oh, the, the, it's, it's just unreal. It is unreal. It's by Guy Walters. And it says, For everybody's favourite furniture chain was run by liberal Swedes. Think again. Because um, they, they, they talk here about where some of the furniture is made. Um, they also talk here about the company's founder, Ingvar Kamprad, who had in his youth been an active recruiter for a Swedish Nazi group called SSS. As a result of that revelation, Mr Kamprad, whose family is worth some two billion, apologised by ordering the IKEA Foundation to double its charitable donations to nearly £100 million a year. That's what they give to charity in a way of sort of making up, because you can't... You can't deal with what happened with other members of your family. It's nothing to do with you. But the fact that it did meant that they sort of doubled it. But now it turns out that a lot of this uh, furniture is made in, uh, in what was then totalitarian East Germany. And so they've done it. Now, I know loads of you absolutely love IKEA. I only ever went once. I found it far too disturbing. Far too disturbing. And to be honest with you, I don't think, and it might sound a little bit, little bit crass, but I never think about where something is made. If I go into a shop and buy something, I don't think, oh, this is made by so-and-so, so-and-so. If somebody tells me afterwards, then, well, then I, w- I will probably take it on board. But nine out of ten times, I don't, I don't think about it. I really don't think about it. Talking of seeing actresses, says Graham, when they're not on stage, I have an enduring memory 
of last summer of seeing Leslie Joseph in Brixham in Devon disappearing off into the distance on an open-top sightseeing bus, no makeup, wearing a hat that would have done Paddington Bear's mother justice, sitting under a model of a giant plastic dinosaur. Brilliant. Yes, I, I, I've had Leslie Joseph naked in my car on, uh, on two occasions. I've had her stark naked in my car. Absolutely stark naked. Seems to have a lot of people naked in my car, actually. I, I cannot tell you that I've had Barbara Windsor naked in my car, but I've had Barbara Windsor in the car. But Leslie Joseph I'd in the car because we were going between venues. We were going to the uh, Laurence Olivier Awards and a lot of actresses, if you, if you go to the, the awards ceremony to start with, then you go to the hotel for afterwards, it's the same photographers. But if you're wearing two different dresses then you get photographed twice. If you're wearing the same dress, there's no point in them taking another photograph. So Leslie was wearing one dress and then decided in the car to change into another dress so that when she got out the car the other end, she could be photographed again. So that's why I had Leslie Joseph with nothing on in my car. I, of course, was driving and kept my eyes straight ahead, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm, a, because I'm an honest person. I don't do... Th- I might have had a sneaky peek, you know, as you do, but, uh, no, that's why she had, uh, she had no clothes on in the car. Uh, Gary, who has finished his, uh, his triathlon the other day, he did... Well, I don't know how he did, actually. It's difficult to tell. He's on a bicycle... And he's got legs like sequoias, that's all I can tell you. And we have this, this picture where you have to sort of turn sideways. I'm not surprised I've got a bad neck. So in all my life, I mean, I'd turn sideways. So well done on that one, young Gary. But uh, where did you do? What, what, was your, what were your timings? It's what we need to know, the timings on a triathlon. When you think, when he started listening to this programme, he, he didn't do any of this kind of stuff. It's listening to, to Steve Allen's programme on LBC that's actually made him think he needs to get out and get a life. <laughs> so that's what he's done. And he's done it very well. We have the same jury system in America, says Adam in San Fran. And serving is a great experience. Um, by the way, a local radio station here read the news that Talisa was FHM's most beautiful woman. And just like you predicted, there was a collective who by the presenter. And then, oh, she made a sex tape. That must be it. She did. She can't sing for toffee. She was on Britain's Got Talent last night. It was awful. I mean, it really was dreadful. The, the, uh, the internet is alive with people going, just really, she can't dance. She couldn't sit. She was flat as a pancake. It was awful. There was a little bit of auto-tuning, I think, went on there, and even that didn't help, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, steve at We weave everybody in this morning. So we're talking about cosmetic surgery. This is after lovely Frances Barber, who plays a seductive QC in the uh, courtroom drama Silk, said she didn't agree with bringing TV cameras into courtrooms. If there's a camera there, of course you're going to play to it. I know, that was what was so wonderful about Big Brother. Because on the very first series of Big Brother, they weren't aware of the cameras because they were hidden behind two-way mirrors and hidden behind gauzes and everything else. And people were told to be very quiet. By the time we got to second series, people had worked out because they'd watched the first one back as to exactly who they played up to, and that's what they did. And Francis is, is probably right in saying that if you put uh, cameras in courtrooms, this is for, for live courtroom action, you'll find it dreadfully dull, I promise you. I mean, it's, I mean, I nearly fell asleep three times in one of our cases. <laughs> I nearly fell over. I was sitting there on the front row, and I closed my eyes thinking, I don't know why I closed my eyes. You know you do. I, was, I wasn't trying to concentrate. I was just thinking, this woman's got the most boring voice I've ever heard. And I just closed my eyes, I went, like that pulled myself back together again, and then sort of sat there, you know, have some water. You all pass this water along between you, because you can't take anything in. 
you'd have to use the use their stuff. But people would play up to the cameras, and that that way, I think you'd actually end up with with probably some very exciting courtroom stuff because there'd be some people who'd be very good, and some people who'd be blooming awful. This is LBC ninety seven point three. I'm Jane Jordan, a qualified dental practitioner. Six years ago, I moved. Eve Allen. Morning, 12 minutes to five. It's wet. We're back to that rubbish again, aren't we? I was talking to somebody the other day. Actually, it was quite funny. <laughs> funny yesterday. Because I was... I, I nipped back home. And, Because uh, I had to bring the car into town because they'd forgotten to send me a car. Like, I was sort of... I'd just a bit off the list. So anyway, so I, I bring the car to town. I go back home, so I'm back home a little bit quicker than usual. And, and I'm chatting away to, uh, to our, our cleaner, Mr Vizino, who's out there cleaning and, and doing all the business. Morning, Mr Allen. I always go, morning, Mr. Vizino. How are you this morning? Go fine. And, and then a car drives in, and at one end of our car park, we've got some air conditioning units. You know, they're these sort of things that they screw onto the outside of walls. They've got big fans on. You sometimes see them on the roof of office blocks, and they're screwed onto the wall. And so this car comes in, and I look at it, and I say to Mr. Vizino, I don't think they live here. Never seen them before. And he goes backwards and forwards. Eventually, he, he sort of he tries to reverse the car into this space. He can't do it, so he comes out. So he goes into the end space, and unfortunately, he misjudges. And the car reverses into the air conditioning unit. There is the biggest bang you've ever heard. His entire back window collapses and falls to the ground. The windscreen, everything. So, of course, I start laughing. You can't help it. I thought, I don't even know who you are. I don't know what you're doing parking in here. But now you've lost your back window. So, anyway, so he sort of... He sort of then pulls forward a little bit and the rest of the window falls out. It was so hilarious. It was like, like a little hatchback. And then, because he obviously didn't have beep-beeps. Because if you've got beep-beeps, you go beep-beep-beep-beep-beep-beep-beep. And then you stop, because that means you're going to hit the item. And I've got them all around the car. You know, it's quite necessary, really. Just And every time a cyclist goes past, they sort of go beep-beep-beep-beep, like that. So anyway, he reverses in. Then he pulls back out again, and the window falls onto the floor. So he sort of gets out, and he's got tattoos all the way up his arms and everything else. And he picks up the windscreen wiper from the back, and he looks at it like it's going to slot back into air. And it's, and it's not going to do anything at all. So he walks out, and I don't know where he goes to, we have no idea, but in ten minutes he's back, he gets back in the car and he drives off, leaving poor Mr Fazino to have to sweep up the glass. Didn't even make an effort. You know, how rude are some people? So in the end, I was quite grateful, because I can't wait to see his insurance claim. You know, uh, I, because it's going to be quite an expensive one, because he's got the windscreen with the windscreen wiper on it. It's built in. How we laughed. How we, we've all done it, though, haven't we? We've all done it. Yesterday, we talked about seaweed. Uh, seaweed, because in uh, a lot of countries, in Asia and Vietnam and China, they eat seaweed. We don't eat seaweed. We, we, just, we just don't do it. I'm not talking about the cabbage that you get in Chinese restaurants. I'm talking about proper seaweed, farmed seaweed. And around the Norfolk coast... They farm seaweed. It's a business worth about 14 million quid a year, but it could be worth more. Somebody said to me, because I said, where do you get seaweed from, you know, in, in town? And loads of people wrote to me after the programme and said, well, of course, you get it wrapped round sushi. You get a lot of sushi that's got, well, I can't bear the smell of sushi. I wouldn't touch sushi if it was the last thing. I, I would rather starve to death than ever eat sushi. Can't bear it. Wouldn't touch it. Don't care whether it's good for you. Not interested. And I've seen all these. And it looks lovely. You know, they do it and it goes round on a carousel. They've got a place in Selfridges where they do sushi and you... Ugh, uh, horrible, can't bear it. So I don't do that. But apparently, uh, you can buy it in Waitrose. In, in Norfolk, you get a massive bunch for two quid. A tiny mouthful in Waitrose will cost you a bit more. 
because uh, Jackie told us that. She said, uh, some fear is lovely. It's available in North Norfolk. I've been picking it for years. So I'm assuming you can just go to the seashore, pick it, and then and then eat it. I, said, I don't know. Do Presumably it's, it's cooked. Is it cooked? Because I, I have no idea what you do with seaweed. You cook it, do you? Oof, God. Is it that stuff that you can sort of squeeze, or is it just... Because apparently we, we, we've got hundreds of varieties of seaweed. I just don't, don't like the sound of it, I'm afraid. And I, I'm really, it, it just, it sounds absolutely awful. So whilst we're, we're, we're checking on seaweed for you today and exactly what you do with it, I'd love to know if you're saving more than you ever did because careful savers have increased their balances to the highest levels in nearly two years. And now I've asked loads of friends of mine, I always say to them, do you save? And they've gone, you're joking, of course. With what? I said, well, I don't know. I mean, we were encouraged to save as children. Of course, you don't, do you? You don't do that. But uh, I wonder now, really, they say here, in the second quarter of 2010, most people have put away about £2,050. And you think to yourself, that's not bad. As children, I've actually got, as you know, I've got three three godchildren. One of them, you know, he's he's not particularly interested in buying it. He, He prefers to save his money. Which is good. So I wonder whether or not you've had the opportunity to save in recent years, or or whether or not you found it absolutely impossible. You know, there's always going to be something. Who is your mum and dad encourage you to save if you're a young person? Yeah, or do you sort of say, oh, "Live for today, worry about it tomorrow"? June Brown was talking on the television. She said the worst thing about getting old is is trying to find out whether you've got enough money to live on because she's still working at eighty four. 84? I mean, it's just... I mean, she's amazing for 84. As you know, she's been on for in conversation. She's absolutely amazing for 84. So who encourages you to save? Samphire is this... Uh, is this seaweed. It doesn't look like normal seaweed. It looks, looks a bit like sort of crunchy bean sprouts. And I suppose you would... It's a little bit sad. It's wrapped in newspaper. I always think that's a bit tragic. Perhaps they'll be serving it in fish and chip shops soon. And they do have, um, apparently, availability, best in July and August. They say here two types, marsh and rock. Only marsh samphire is wildly available. It's similar to baby asparagus, a distinctive crisp and salty taste. Well, it would be. It's in the sea. It can be used raw in salads, so it tends to be very salty, so it's more often boiled or steamed for a few uh, minutes. Uh, Rock Samphire has a rather unpleasant smell and flavour. Occasionally I find jars of pickled samphire in gourmet shops. It doesn't keep for long, incidentally. You buy it as you need it. So refrigerate it, but not more than a couple of days, because it, it goes... Oh, sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Because it goes off, obviously sort of eaten by sort of people who sort of go around wearing caftans and uh, flat sandals and things like that. Waitrose do it for £2. Obviously can't keep it. Must be, it must be vacuum-packed, mustn't it? It must be sealed. So I, sh- I shan't be trying it, put it that way. Which counter would you find that on, then? Where would that be? Would you On the vegetable counter. Oh. I mean, it does look very, very pretty. And, and to be honest with you, it could probably go quite well with some sweet and sour chicken or something like that. But if it's, if it's too salty, it's not going to go with anything at all, is it? It doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't kind of do it for me, but it does look, does look very pretty. The kind of thing you sort of grow in your garden and you go, what's this? And you go, I wouldn't eat that. Wouldn't eat that at all. But there's two types of it, so now you know. Apparently, uh, uh, our, our field officer in the brigade says, Did you know, Steve, it's harvested commercially to extract a substance which is used in beer, ale, ice cream, and as a foam stabiliser? Yes, I mean, did you... I'd, I've been telling people that for years, that the ingredient in ice cream is seaweed. 
And that's what it is. If, if you check the ingredients in seaweed, you go to any... Sorry, the ingredients in seaweed. The ingredients in ice cream, go and have a look there, and you will see seaweed in there. It's, it's got something in it that helps ice cream. It's odd, that, isn't it? I... I and I don't know what it does. No, no, it freezes without seaweed because you make it yourself at home. But commercially available ice cream has got seaweed in it. And, I, and for the life of me, I've got no idea at all. Uh, Tom in Canada. Morning, Tom. Says very true about cameras in the courtroom. Every character in the O.J. Simpson trial was playing to the cameras. Oh, they love it, don't they? But mind you, over there they have what I call celebrity lawyers and people who do it. Do you remember? I always remember the... Um, oh, what do they call him now? The uh, the man who who sort of signs off your death certificate, the coroner, the coroner in Las Vegas after after um, Liberace died, uh, his uh, people wanted him buried as quickly as possible. Uh, they didn't really want the cause of death to come out, which was an AIDS related illness. And so what they did was he died, and uh, they literally got him into the back of the hearse and they set off across the desert. The coroner. A man who quite clearly loved the attention went, wait, back. And they called the car back. And that's when they had to have the autopsy because the coroner. And every time the coroner, coroner appeared on television, he was horrible. He really was nasty, a nasty little piece of work. But quite clearly reveled in the fact that he was on television and this was a major thing that was going around the world. It's absolutely dreadful. Uh, 84850. Um, Frank says, uh, I know you're busy, but I want to let you know, I think this whole line of products stroke anti-aging philosophy, stroke science, stroke diet are the best around. I discovered this person, uh, on the public broadcast service about 10 years ago, and he was giving a presentation at Yale and his uh, products contain alpha, is it, uh, lipoic acid, vitamin C and uh, the neuropeptides, which are particularly exceptional. I've also had good results with uh, rock products containing retinol. Yes, I mean, the, the trouble is you... I mean, it is the biggest business in the world, isn't it? I believe, the, the beauty business, and especially for ladies. I think you would, you would fire, you'd be hard-pushed to find a woman who hadn't spent, at some point, more than £25 on a pot of cream, because it, it tells you everything about the person. You know, the stuff you keep on your dressing room table tells you everything about the person. You know, if you've actually got lots of pots of cream, you're obviously very concerned about cleansing and looking after yourself and having nice makeup and nice colours and stuff like that. So that, that, but it is a big, big business. There's no denying it's worth millions and millions of pounds a year. And that's why the companies... I mean, somebody said to me years ago, you don't need very expensive cream. Just a pot of cold cream would do it. Because your, your grannies and their grannies before them, they never had all these posh products. It's only in recent years that you've seen the emergence of, of the beauty counters in all the department stores and the girls who will sell you anything. But in my grandmother's day, there's nothing like that at all. Absolutely nothing. It was, it was, it was there, but it, was, it certainly wasn't the size it is now. And especially when you think that Estee Lauder already will have worked out all their Christmas marketing campaign now. They would, have, they, they, they would have sorted that out already so they would know exactly what products they were going to launch, what special offers, what bargains they'll have in over the festive season. Seems funny to be talking about the festive season, doesn't it, when we're still in this drought situation? Because there's no water anywhere, is there? Hardly anything at all, and now we're coping out there. I mean, really. I'd be grateful to see some water a little bit later on today, but at the moment I've seen nothing at all. No reservoirs. But the good news is that Offwatt, who look after the water, have said to the water companies, don't worry, we're not expecting you to repair your pipes any time now or soon. We think, it, we think it's all right at the moment. So, in other words, even though we're losing millions upon millions of gallons of water, off what have said, don't worry spending any money. You don't need to do it just yet. We'll worry about it later. 
And after Thameswater sold off all their reservoirs, or certainly a lot of them, we're in, we're in no better position now than we were before. My advice is uh, is get water butts. I know they're about 20 quid, but to be honest with you, it'll save you a small fortune. I've still not managed to use the hose. I toyed with the idea the other day. I toyed with the idea, you know, because I thought, how, how can you argue with, with somebody who's just using it out the window to fill up a watering can? I don't really see what difference that makes at all. I think they mean people standing there watering forever, which, of course, you know, if you've just got a little tiny patio, you wouldn't be doing that, would you? Coming up to news at five o'clock, it's Tuesday. Yesterday was Monday. Yesterday was the day you had off because it was the bank holiday. We know it was the bank holiday because it was cold and it rained. Okay, that's why it was the bank holiday. So today you're back to work and I'm afraid it's raining again. Hopefully some good news coming up with Sam Pittis at five. On FM. Morning, Tuesday morning in London town. So short week actually. I spoke to a friend of mine last night. She said, I've got Friday off. I said, everyone just come back to work. She said, I know. She said, I've got something booked in on Friday. So for her, a really, really short week. And uh, on my hands and knees, says Dean, cleaning a, store, a stone floor in a very warm Cyprus. Back to the UK on Saturday for two days. I'm so looking forward to seeing my dear friend, the M25. No, don't worry, it's missed you too. The world's greatest car park is uh, here and awaiting its first, uh, first park-ups this morning. I love the motorway driving. I tell you, I, we, we came in this morning, the driver must have put his foot down. We'd gone through town, I tell you. And, it, and all of a sudden, you've got these sort of little speed humps and things like that. Oh! Grief. It's like having a workout on the back of your neck. It's dreadful. 84850stevedlbc.co.uk And uh, we weave everything in. A lot of people send me articles about Simon Cowell in the book. He's, he's not very happy, Simon Cowell, at the moment. The reason he's actually... We've lost the um, text messages. Um, the reason he's not very happy is because he thinks that they should stop all the, the sexual innuendos on the programme. And uh, to be honest with you, I agree, because David Walliams is doing... Everybody's doing it. And that's, and that's the problem. You have to... It's, eventually, you have to stop this thing. We just have to get on with what the programme is. But the, because there's, there's so little on it, you know, it, it, it kind of means that they, they just end up having a laugh at Simon's expense. But I think he's now got to the stage, and, and I am at the stage with him as well, where I'm just bored with it. So they say he's, he's now going to talk tough which I quite like. Kev the Milkman says, with diesel the price it is, it'd be cheaper for me to run my milk float on on milk. <laughs> Stephen Harlington says, Gary first started listening to you, he was, he was still in nappies, which is lovely. <laughs> I like that. And uh, it's mine, my nephew's birthday today, says Sophie. So Ben and I are 17, which is lovely. I live in a first floor flat with no balcony, no garden, so a water butt is out of the question. Uh, more worrying is that that I now realise I may not be classy enough to be listening to your show. Oh, I know. I mean, that is the worry, isn't it, in this day and age? That is the way. Are you of the right class to listen to the radio? Because we, we, we did class before. We did class before on the programme. And nobody really could decide what class they were. People who are... I mean, most... I mean, believe it or not, I would think I'm working class because I work for a living. I do a middle-class job... And my lifestyle might suggest middle class, but I promise you, I'm working class. I come from working class stock. I work for a living. Therefore, I'm, I do work for a living. I'm not middle. I don't want to be middle. I want to be working class. I want to be like, go blimey. I want to be a bit like that. I want to be in touch with my roots. All right. You know, the fact I sort of kind of speak a little bit like, you know, Prince Charles occasionally is neither here nor there. I think we're, so, so you think I'm middle class. Is that because of the job I do? You think because of the job I do and because of my lifestyle? Are you telling me that working-class people don't drive flash cars? Ha! 
Want to come round our way? I'll tell you. I'll show you more scrap dealers driving these sort of cars than anybody else. No, I think I'm working class. I'm, I'm happy to aspire to working class. I don't want to be middle class, I don't think. I think I'm middle class in so much as I, um, I, I suppose I have a job that would be classed as middle class. I can't. I can't really think of, of of any of any other reason actually why you'd be middle class or not middle class. My parents were working class. Their families were working class, and but my my job would suggest not. There used to be. Do you remember Derek Jameson years and years ago? Derek Jameson was a newspaper editor, and he used to talk like that. And he used to have a, he had, had his wife as well. They lived it. They they, used, they popped up on all sorts of television programs, and because he was like you know salt of the earth, people sort of liked him a little bit. But but he ended up living in Brighton. He ended up living in sort of a very posh bit of Brighton. And I don't even know if he's still alive. He probably is still alive. He must be getting on a bit by now. And and he he was proud of working class roots. Lord Sugar, I think, is exactly the same. I'm sure he's exactly the same. Working class roots. I think that that's how it. It works, isn't it, nowadays? So now I'm, I'm now depressed because I now think I'm middle class. I'm not sure I want to be middle class. I'm certainly not upper class. Upper class would be the royal family. Upper class would be, you know, I think just the royal family. Unless you are titled, you're not going to be upper class. I think you have to have breeding. Sometimes you see people, you know, sort of ex-army majors who've come back from, from the Punjab or something, and they're all terribly, terribly, and, you know, living here. And, you, and you, you do see people. I can, I can look at people walking around Knightsbridge, for example, or even around here, and you could look at them and think, I know what, what class you are. That's, that's the way I, I think it works. You know, terribly, terribly like that. You're a small sherry. A little bit like the army major was in Forty Towers. Forty? I think I'll have a sherry. You know, I know a lot of people like that. They used to call them chinless wonders. That used to be the thing. And in lots of, lots of British films, there were people who were like that. So what, what, what class do you think you are? Now I'm confused. Now I'm very confused. 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk or 0845 973 And uh, if you're a recent convert to diabetes, I'm afraid uh, it's now the scourge of our nation diabetes. I'm constantly bumping into more diabetics and more people who have put themselves or their doctors have put them on metformin or they're not quite injectable as yet. But then I spoke to somebody the other day and he said, what, so do I have to stop drinking? I said, we don't. You just do things in moderation. You have to eat more slowly. That can help reduce the risk of diabetes. The cost of diabetes to the NHS, they reckon is a million pounds an hour. A million pounds an hour now. And two and a half million of us have type 2 diabetes. They reckon just under 900,000 people have diabetes but don't know it. Some people like to be in denial about it. 300,000 have type 1 diabetes. Because I was talking to somebody the other day, they said, what are you? I said, I'm type 2. They said, but you inject. I said, yes, I do tablet and inject. Type type 1 is is different from me. They probably have, uh, have different insulin and things like that. And they've had it for a long while. I got mine later in life. So there's 850,000 of you, 900,000 people out there who have diabetes but don't know it. And the symptoms are you sweat, you go to toilet a lot when you climb into bed, you'd be up, up and down about, you know, five to ten times in the course of a night's sleep. That would be the thing. And you could, it's just simple little tests. You can have a quick urine test. Uh, the doctor can do that or they can do a quick blood test. 
At the, I've got to go back for another blood test today. I've suddenly realised this was the one I postponed for the jury service. They said, can you come back next week? I said, I can't. I can't. I'm on jury service. I'm very excited about the whole thing. So I'm going to go back in for another blood test because I don't think the first one actually told them everything that they wanted to know, which was, which was a little uh, bit of the shame. Uh, in case Gary's not up, he did the triathlon uh, in 1933. One hour, 19 minutes. And out of 492, he, he, he came 178 that's not bad, is it? Out of, out of 492, I, of course, wouldn't even have put myself in the thing in the first place. I mean, it just just would not have happened. Uh, 84850, Joanne, not another parcel. Good Honestly, you can't keep sending parcels. It's ridiculous, a bit like Christmas most days. I'll leave it a bit before posting it. Yes, do, do. Like, like November would be good. Let them settle. And uh, little Julie, Noreen, Bob and Winnie... Morning to them as well. 84850, steve at uk. Uh, Patricia says, Steve, I'd rather starve than eat seaweed. I second that emotion. Yes, I don't... I just don't see myself eating it. I told you once I did go to a macrobiotic restaurant. It was the most boring meal I've ever had in my entire life. How people can ever get off of this, I don't know. All it is is pulses and lentils and different ways of... Do- oh, Ghastly. It really was. You came out of there and you started looking around for the nearest takeaway. It was a lot better. Um, Hugh says, the good thing about the constant rain is that Thames water should have enough water in the reservoirs that they haven't sold off. They haven't. That's the trouble. That's the whole argument about the whole thing. They haven't because they lose so much through uh, through leakage. Uh, you have to fill your watering can from the tap as it makes it... Uh, it makes it more inconvenient to use it rather than filling it from the hose pipe. This way, water consumption will be cut, says Peter from all in. Why? What's the di- I don't understand what, what the difference is. What's the difference between having a hose connected up to the tap outside your window, so it's a distance of about six feet, going into the watering can, you turn the tap on, and it fills up the watering can, you turn it off. What's the difference between doing that as opposed to coming inside to the tap, putting the, the can under the tap, and then walking back outside again, having filled it up? I don't quite I don't quite see the problem. I don't see, you know, that water consumption will be cut. But I mean, I'm, I'm just filling up the watering can. I don't really see any problem with it at all. I think I'll do it later on today. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Sophie says, I wish I was 17. I'm 42. It's my nephew Ben who's 17. Well, we could always pretend, can't we? As Frances Barber has told all the papers today. Of course, just as well. She'll, she'll be on LBC at some point this week, no doubt. And uh, she's slamming TV ageism. And what she's saying, she laments the disappearance of older women's faces from the screen and revealed that she's saving up for a facelift. So there you go. I mean, to be honest with you, um, we do have older women's faces on TV, don't we? We do see them. I mean, there obviously aren't as many as there are younger women's faces. But that was the old Elizabeth Taylor line. I'm seeing lots of of young faces on very old bodies here. You know, that's that's the problem. You don't want to look sort of too young. It's no good, you know, being being a sort of an old person but with a very, very young looking face. I think they've all had Toya Wilcox has had it done. I think she's had she's had two done. I think I didn't think she needed it doing in the first place, but some people feel better having it done. And if Frances Barber is saving up for it, she says I'd be a hypocrite if I said I'd never get a facelift. I'm saving up for one, but it'll be tiny adjustments. The things that make you look less tired. Well, you see, women are lucky. The thing that makes you look less tired is makeup. That's the thing. Whereas men wake up in the morning. If, 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 we, if we look tired, it's because that's the way it is. You can't change it. 
And it's, uh, it's a great shame. Great shame. I wish they'd invent something for men that you could sort of put on and makes you look, bing, alert and everything else. The only thing that does that is a good night's sleep and, uh, and some nice food like toast and coffee and sausages and bacon. None of this seaweed rubbish, ladies and gentlemen. 84850 0845 6060973. It's 5.15. <laughs> News headlines with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. The CIA has... LBC 97.3, London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, 18 minutes past five. You've just woken up, opened your eyes. What do you reckon the weather? Oh, no, sunny. Beautiful, isn't it? It's absolutely gorgeous. 27 degrees later on today. I lie, I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's it's wet again. It's another wet day. And uh, somebody said to me yesterday, is there no end in sight? The answer... No, there isn't. I'm afraid it's it's wet all week, as far as I know. I'm not I'm, re- I'm not really going to get too too sort of worried about it. I better just check see what Rupert's offering me today. Dry day for most, few showers, sunny spells, mo- warmer, eighteen degrees. So that's good, isn't it? And then this evening, oh, there you go, dry, bright spells, cloudy overnight, outbreaks of rain spreading north eastwards, uh, minimum eleven centigrade, and uh, tomorrow, showers will be more persistent in the afternoon. Uh, Thursday. Windy with spells of rain. Friday, uh, it says old with a brisk wind. I think it means cold. I th- think we're all feeling old by Friday. Sunny spells and isolate showers. I like that idea. Isolated showers. And then Saturday is the only day you're going to look forward to. Dry fine, but it is going to be cold. So it's wet this week. I can't offer you any, any crumb of comfort at all. We're talking about cosmetic surgery. Would you have it? As Frances Barber, the actress, has lamented the disappearance of older women's faces from the screen. You know, I suppose people like Jessica Tandy, you know, faces like that, which really do look old, you know, proper old looking people. Elizabeth Taylor was old when she made uh, her last movie, but she didn't look old. She looked very unlined, very unwrinkled. And uh, it saddens Frances Barber, who says that we will never see on camera again faces like Betty Davis, because none of the young actresses now will ever them, le- ever ever let themselves look like that. Because Betty Davis just looked... Looked old. And people don't, don't want to look old now. They want to look young. Well, old is bad. Old doesn't sell. Who, who do you sell it to? You can't sell old women. Yeah, but that's different. Maggie Smith, you know, I mean, she's, she's an established actress. But the majority of people coming up nowadays, they, they wouldn't even dream of that. They would do everything possible to halt the ageing process. Because, I mean, you, you, you talk to actresses, Frances as well, and you say, is there as much work around now for a woman of 40, 54 as there was... You know, when you were 27, and the answer is there aren't as many roles for older people. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people chasing very few... It's bad enough in the business as it is, I think. So, uh, unfortunately, she could be right. She says she has a new movie out. It's called May I Kill You, and it's set against the backdrop of the London riots. And she said, I was so angry because all the politicians were away. Theresa May, David Cameron, Boris Johnson, they were all on holiday. She says, if I'm in a West End play and the leading man's on holiday, I don't go away at the same time. London was burning and nobody was in charge. Well, she's absolutely right. Imagine if you go along to the theatre and they go, I'm sorry, neither Francis Barber nor her, her co-star is going to be appearing tonight. They're on holiday. And you go, what? I'm terribly sorry about that. Uh, one hour 19 for Gary. Yes, in the triathlon. I think he's got another one, actually. I think he's got another one coming up on the 20th of this month. And then he's doing the booper. 10,000. The weekend following that, another triathlon. It's an, it's, an, it's an addiction, I think, isn't it? The amount you're doing sounds like an addiction to me. <laughs> Definitely sounds like one. Um, 
Hello to uh, Alan Kay from Glyn Perkins. And it was, oh, I'll, I'll tell you who it was in Australia. His name was uh, Philip Cottrell. Philip Cottrell. You can Google him, Glyn. Philip Cottrell was the uh, ex-LBC person who, uh, who was uh, tragically murdered. Philip Cottrell. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Peter says, just filled my car up. Petrol, Mercedes S600, £122. Yes, I, I, I got to 100 the other day. And I was frightened to go any further in case the pump didn't handle more than 100. I really did. He said, imagine my joy when I read in the paper, soon to cost £90 to fill the family car. <laughs> we live in hope. You know, those are, are definitely the kind of thing. £90 to fill the car up. And that's, that's just a normal car. That's not a very flash car, a Mercedes S600, is it? I don't think. Is that a middle-class car? Is that a working-class car? We don't know. Steve, you're definitely middle-class because you've got a well-paid job. Um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually class, you know, working in radio as a well-paid job. It's a job. It's a middle-class kind of job, isn't it? That's what we, we did agree with, actually. I think we actually agreed with that, that radio is, uh, is, is definitely a middle-class job. Although you... Oh, you see, I can't, I'm not even sure I can say that now. Because I'm sure I've heard people on the radio, what talk like that? You know, and that means it's like... It, it, that's, you know, especially people doing music and stuff like that. Because you, you don't want somebody going, and here, here's a, a super track from Jazzy B. You know, you're not going to be getting that, are you? Not going to be listening to any of these radio stations around here. Yes, and, and this, is, this is really super. The well-known beat combo, Lady Gaga, is coming up now with a, with a piece of music which will see you through the morning. It's, it just doesn't happen. They have to have people who, who sound like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Duncan Bartz was talking about dating. He managed to find a lot of people who dated online. They went to some of these online dating places. And uh, and I, I thought that was quite interesting because in London, I've said you don't need to go to any any dating places at all. You never need to worry about getting a date in London. You never. Everybody can can find somebody easily. Do you know how? Get a job in a bar. Get a job in a bar. You'll meet loads of people, and it's absolutely it's the easiest way to meet people because everybody's got to come to you. If, if, if you like somebody a lot, then you can engage them in conversation while you're doing the pint, can't you? So, where, do you live local? A bit more slowly if they're becoming interesting. So you, um, whereabouts do you... Oh, sorry, I need to change the barrel in a minute. Anyway, so where were we? Do you live around, just around the corner? Who do you live with? Do you live with anybody? Married? Single? Gay? <laughs> you have to ask all these things of people. So if you, want to get, if you want to meet people, get a job in a bar. You meet everybody. And then the next night, if, if they like you, they're coming the next night because they know that you're going to remember what they're drinking. So they're going to walk in and you're going to go, do you want a pint? And they're going to go, they know who I am. I'm a known person in a bar. Because normally you're anonymous, aren't you? You stand there. But it's, it's, a great, it's a great icebreaker. Until somebody else in your side of the bar starts talking to you. And you don't really want that, because you think, I'm really, really after the person on the other side of the bar. Jessica in Sidcup says, I'm at work and I'm feeling so tired. I wish I was at home. Nothing worse. You want to do jury service. You'll die of boredom. I think I, I did recommend that they put beds in, which would be good. Uh, Steve, I hope you're well. I'm still trying... Uh, Hard to find work. Still do charity shop. More on benefits. Should work for money for the DSS. Uh, yes. No, you should definitely work. Given the choice of benefits and working, working gives you more satisfaction. Doesn't matter whether it's in a charity shop, in a fish and chip shop. It doesn't matter where it is. Uh, parking restrictions are very confusing. Out in one part of Wandsworth yesterday, no charge. Nearer the shops, the wardens are on patrol. Yes, I went to 
Richmond yesterday. Just as I got to I got off the bus and it started raining. I thought, oh, God. And then bumped into Adrian, who does our, our LBC website. He was there with his wife and, uh, and child. He keeps, he keeps holding this child and trying to thrust it at me, going, this, this, this is your godfather. This is your godfather, Uncle Steve. And I'm going, no, I don't want any more, thank you very much indeed. But, uh, I, I was going off to Robert Dias, because uh, I'd seen something in their window, which actually I might have to go back and buy later on. But it tipped it down. But uh, he's, he, he's very much of... I think he, he's very middle class. Very middle class. I'm, Stephen Harlington says, I'm working class. I look up to the middle class. I know my place. And Andrew says, you just had medical advice about a persistent cough, but I'm just recovering from the coughing virus, which lasts a month and is going around. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm not so scared by the advice just broadcast about lung cancer. I did it yesterday on the programme. In fact, I told people that these adverts were coming up. That They're not saying, you know, it is a sign of lung cancer. What they're saying is, go to your doctor. If you've had this cough for more than three weeks, then you go to your doctor. Always go to the doctor and get and get proper advice, because they can then look in your throat. Because I went, if you remember, mine lasted for, God, it seemed like ages. Seemed like ages. But it, 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 it scares a lot of people. But it's meant to. It's meant to scare you into going to the doctor so they can find out exactly what it is. OK? So, uh... That's what you have to do. It's, 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 it's not one of those... It's not supposed to be a scare tactic. It's just supposed to make you think a little bit. So, talking about Francis Barber, saving, we're talking about this morning, whether or not you save, because if you ask most people, they live for today. They don't bother saving. And the reason they don't bother saving is, what are they saving for? Because nowadays, you can get everything. You can get everything on high purchase. Everything on extended credit. They will give you a card and you can, you can do everything. You don't need to bother saving at all. There is no point in saving because you don't need to, to, to wait for it. Whereas I came from a generation where you saved up for something. If you wanted a fridge freezer, you saved up for a fridge freezer. You didn't, uh, you didn't sort of start uh, just... Sorry, I'm very confusing. You didn't start sort of just sort of going out, you know, and thinking to yourself, well, I'll, I'll buy it on high purchase. You know, you, you actually go out there and, uh, and, you, and you said, I've saved up for this, so I, I own it. I think years ago, people rented televisions because televisions were fairly new and we had all the rediffusion, radio rentals, rumbelows. They were all in the high street renting you televisions because if it went wrong, you were sitting there staring at a blank screen. And so they would then come out because you, you were sort of paying for it. And I used to rent a television and a video recorder, the old piano keys video recorder. Now people buy televisions because they're so much cheaper. Things tend not to go wrong. People, I think we bought our cooker on HP. I don't know why, but it was, it was atrocity. I don't know what that means. It was just a, it was a new cooker and, and it worked and my mum my cooked on it like most other people. And, uh, and, and you probably put a car on HP. Now, I, I would try not to do anything on HP, anything that involved some sort of credit agreement. I see these things, you know, you can buy this car here and it's on a credit agreement. So I think, oh, that's nice. I quite like that idea. And they go, and the final payment is 78600 after you've paid something like £200 a month or whatever it is. You know, buy this car for £99 a month. At the end of two years, give us 78000 you can have the car. And you think, I'm not, not going to have saved up 78000 in two years' time. So I, that, that kind of went out the window. So I tend to upgrade the cars now, which is a lot easier to do. And... Uh, and you feel better about it. If you're a shop assistant, I want to hear from you this morning. Are you rude to customers? Apparently in Debenhams, they've had to have a word with the girls to say, listen, you, you really mustn't be catty. No more tactless remarks like, yes, your bum does look big in that. Can't do that anymore. And uh, Louise Rowe, who is a host of the TV show Plain Jane, 
so sorry, I've never heard of it. Uh, and and she is a, she's a, a, a style consultant for Weight Watchers. She said it's clear how prolifically women are made to feel insecure about their shape. Well, I don't know. You want to see some of the sights I see down Twickenham Way. I mean, people quite clearly aren't worried about what anybody thinks about them because they do wear the most inappropriate outfits. Whereas men, it's a bit different for us. Unless, of course, you're a darts player, in which case you're just meant to be fat and unattractive anyway. 08456060973. Time now, 5.30. <laughs> Conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, Tuesday morning in London town. Wet. Sorry about that. Wet. Uh, strangely enough, they're, they're trying to analyse in the papers today exactly why certain programmes do well on television and certain programmes don't do very well. At the moment, The Voice which is another singing competition, which promised us faithfully at the beginning we won't be having any of this silly sob stories, we won't be having any stories surrounding the contestants and their private lives, we're here to deal solely with singing. Sadly, it's backfired. Ever since, I think, Programme 2, we've been having people giving us their sob stories, people telling us about their family, it's just ghastly. Uh, The other thing that is ghastly about it is that it's hemorrhaging viewers. And the reason it's hemorrhaging viewers is because the panel are too nice. Nobody likes a nice panel. And they've done a big piece in the Express today analysing why it is that nasty sells. That's what you want as the British public. You don't want, your, you don't want to watch a programme that is all lovely and lovely. What you want are put-downs, conflict, sneering and sarcasm. One of the very good reasons I've been so successful for a number of years is because we do exactly that. We do the put downs. We do do the uh, we do talk about the conflicts. We love stuff like that. It works very, very well. It works very, very well. And the reason is that people otherwise it's bland. Otherwise, it's tedious. And that's why the voice four million they've lost. Four million. That's, you know, they, they, they can't be bothered with doing surely another another series of it because it's so boring. Tom Jones is dull. You know, Will I Am is the most boring man on television. I've never seen anybody so dull. It's not, perhaps he thinks it's a little fashion show just for him. Because what he says is rubbish. What you want are good put downs. I like the idea that uh, Craig Revel Horwood who was uh, one of the nastiest judges, they say, still going and strictly uh, come dancing, described Natasha Kaplinsky as dull, dull, dull. And Patsy Palmer, a second-rate actress in a second-rate soap. Whereas years ago, a put-down line was one here from Tony Hatch. He was known as the Hatchet Man. He was known as Mr Nasty. And all he did, he made headlines by giving a contestant zero. He didn't say anything, he just said zero. And that, was, and that was enough to get the audience booing him. Nowadays, we like Anne Robinson. She's queen of mean. We like Len Goodman. We like Severn. We like, we like all those sort of people who do the put-downs because it's what, it's what we're thinking. We are thinking. We're watching. I remember saying to you, when Jeff Brazier started working on television, he's only there because of his association with Jade Goody. He's got no experience in presenting, and that became patently obvious. Eventually, they had to take him off. Because programmes rely on ratings. He had a column in a newspaper about his parenting week. Do me a favour. It was just rubbish. Nobody's interested. Even even poor desperado Sally Burko's column was ditched for being just boring. A bit like Sally Burko. These people arrive and they disappear. Because what you're looking for is somebody who is consistent. If you're going to be nasty, don't just be nasty about somebody, you know, just for the sake of being nasty. 
You have to be, you know, you have to mean what you're saying. Don't just do it for an effect. I, I've heard presenters before thinking they're going to be shock jocks on certain radio stations. It's ghastly. I mean, it's absolutely awful because they're just doing it for an effect. They're not like that at all. Whereas when I'm sort of mean about somebody, I mean it. I absolutely mean it. Morning, Jared. Morning, Steve. Morning. How are you? Not too bad, thank you very much. About this uh, people, customers and that, just politeness. I work in a charity shop in Blackpool, the RSPCA. Okay. And uh, you, you try and be polite as possible you can for the customers, but some of the customers don't realise that the, the people that work in the charity shop do it at their own time and that's yeah. And the cheek that you get from the customers, they want you to sort of, uh, uh, or can you do that bit cheaper? Mm. Or can you sort of uh, take three pounds off this jacket? And you try to explain to the customer, it's a charity shop and that, and we can't do it all. Yeah. We, I can get that for five pounds in Primark and that. Yes. And, they, and they give you the grief, you see. And that, <laughs> that, that annoys me the same time. You try and put through to the customer that uh, this is a charity shop and that, and uh, you have to speak to the manager and that. You, know. you are right. Some some customers are horrid. They are. Some some customers don't know how. To, I was in Marks and Spencers on Sunday morning in Kingston, and I know because I've been there before that they can't open the tills until eleven o'clock. So you can have a wander about. And you can pick items up, but you can't buy them because the tills are locked. At 11 o'clock, the tills become unlocked. It's on a central computer. So there's this woman there. Let's just call her a chav, OK? And she's picked up a few items with her husband and little boy. And she's quite clearly a smoker. I can see this straight away from her face. And she's not using very expensive uh, items. Anyway, that's not there. So she says to the woman behind the counter, can you serve us yet? This is 5-2. And so the woman behind the counter says, no, I can't, not till 11. She says, so we've got to stand here till then, have we? And so the woman says, well, I can't... I wanted to say to the woman, but I thought there's no point interfering, the tills don't open till 11. It's, it's an electronic entry system. She cannot serve you physically before 11. But, so she stood there, and she was fuming. She was, and I thought to myself, I would love to be the person, the other side of the counter, to say to her, if, if you don't want to buy it, you, c- you can always pop it back, can't you? But I don't do it. So you must get it all the time. Uh, it, it, you try and be polite as possible on that, and... Yeah. Uh, you try to explain to the, the customer that this is a charity shop and that, and what the price is on it, and that. Some of the time, if, if the manager's around, I ask him, and he says, uh, we just come down onto the shop floor. But if something's been on the shop floor for about a month, he will say, it's been on the shop floor a month, I can let you have it for £2 cheaper. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just that they give you the grid of, well, we're going to get this cheaper in Primark and stuff like I know, that. I know, I know. You feel like, so we'll go to... Oh, I know. It's so tempting, isn't it? And the trouble is, they, you know, you feel like saying, listen, I'm not standing here for your benefit. I'm standing here for my benefit. I'm trying to be nice to you. If, if, if you don't want to buy it, go to Primark. Go, go for the three-mile walk down the road. See if I care. Because that's, got... that's what you feel like doing, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, I sent the text about the work. That I'm trying to get to work about If more people did what I did and got mm. off their backside and did charity work, yeah. and... Uh, while they're on benefits and that, that's what annoys me. There's a lot more people around here that don't do it and that. People have got their backside. There's charities out there fighting out for volunteers. And it all goes in favour of people's CVs when they go for an interview yeah. and that. It's nice to know that you've, I mean, as you say, it's actually nice to know that you've made the effort, Jared, and you've, and you've been out there and you've done something. As, as a shopper and as a consumer, we have to try and be considerate 
of the staff. I realise that sometimes, you know, you get difficult customers. Sometimes I could be a difficult customer. Sometimes I could be a right pain in the rear end as a customer. Only because, you know, I'm paying good money for something. I'm not expecting, you know, subservience. I'm just expecting somebody to be courteous. I'm expecting somebody to have a modicum of intelligence. Like when we were in Waitrose the other day and the girl was just standing there staring into the distance. You know, can you open this till up? Uh, no, you have to go and queue around there. Why? Can't you use your intelligence and just... Because they've done it every other time, why can't you do it this time? Is it because nobody's explained to you how to do it? You know, that's, that's where it comes down to management in stores. You're supposed to have good managers. And I have to be honest, based on what I've seen, the management in M&S appear to be a hell of a lot better than the management in Waitrose, I'm afraid, in Twickenham. They might be brilliant in your one. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying my experience is that we have the slowest till staff in Waitrose. I mean, you could grow a beard waiting. They're not, they, there's no rush for them. Whereas Marks and Spencers, they've been told they've got so many items in so little time to put in there. I think it's so many items, 16 items a minute to pack in the bag. That's what the, that's what the shop floor well no but they're they're watched on on cameras and they're told to speed up because when they first started the idea of brits packing bags was a little bit worrying because most blokes working a till couldn't pack a bag for love nor money no soft squidgy items in the bottom really heavy items on the top you know and many's the time i've had to take something out and say this is liquid you can't stand it on its side it's liquid and you feel like you're sort of you're doing them a disservice you want to be nice and say but the other half of me is thinking you can't be that stupid. It's not possible. You know, it's, I mean, sometimes customers, as anybody will tell you who works in retail, can be absolutely vile. They can be horrible. They can be unnecessarily rude. And, it's, and it has to be give and take. You know, sometimes when I go into shops, I mean, I'm, I remember going to a shop once and I, I did spend a lot of money on an item. And the girl said, uh, do you want a bag? And you think, for this amount of money, Poppet, I'm expecting you to walk it back to the car on your hands. You know, they ask you such stupid questions. Of course I want it in a bag. Otherwise I look like a shoplifter, don't I? You know, I'm sorry, is there a world shortage of bags? Oh, dear, people do drive you mad, don't they? It's like, when I did go the other day... Oh, I did go... <laughs> I can't tell you. I can't tell you, actually. I went into... We have, a, we have a farm shop in Twickenham. And my friend Frankie works in there. It's Laverstocks. And so they, they own the farm. And they do their own slaughtering and everything. It's owned by, I think, Jodie Schechter... The racing driver. I think it's, it could, it's another race. Well, it might not, but anyway. So Frankie works in there, and he said, he said, I saw a sign the other day, and it said, hot sausage rolls. So I thought, oh, how nice. I quite fancy a hot sausage roll. So I said, I think I have a hot sausage roll. He said, we haven't got any today. I said, OK, fine. So the other day, hot sausage rolls. What I didn't realise was, it is actually a sausage in a roll, in a baguette. And so I said to the girl, I'll have two, two hot sausage rolls, please. Well, as it turned out, uh, the word hot didn't come into it. They weren't. And the sausages weren't, weren't quite big enough to fill the roll. And so as opposed to wrapping them, she just put them in a tissue each and put them on the counter. So I'm kind of sort of stuck thinking, I've got shopping. What, what do I do with it? So in the end, I sort of put it in my bag and I held the other one. She said, oh, do you want a bag now? I thought, well, you hadn't thought of that before. You know, you should have thought of these sort of things. So I two of these blooming things. All for, I think I've just eaten buffalo sausages. I'm not sure whether or not I should have been eating buffalo sausages, but I did eat buffalo sausages. So, so when, you, when you read in the papers that, sort of, uh, that people are, are expecting you to be ruder now on television, they are to boost ratings. People want to hear somebody rude, because we all go, oh, isn't Simon Cowell rude about people? No, he's just being honest. It never hurt. I'm, I'm sorry, if, if it hurts people and offends people, if somebody's honest, well, that's kind of, t- that's your problem. 
That's your problem. You know, so when I, I'm rude about somebody on the television, it's for, it's for a very good reason. I'm not saying it for an effect. I'm saying it because they really are rubbish. When you watch The Only Way is Essex, the blokes in there don't do anything. They just prance around like a load of ninnies. You know, when you when you look at the uh, the television, and there's a, there's a bit doing the rounds at the moment, Simon Mayo is going to be presenting blockbusters. Well, I'm sorry, the only person who could ever present blockbusters is Bob Holness. It's as simple as that. It's like the only Mission Impossible were the originals. The ones with Tom Cruise, rubbish. Don't ever do a remake of anything at all, game shows or otherwise, because there are certain people who do game shows and certain people who don't. I watched Chris Tarrant doing a game show the other day. Now he can do a game show. Bruce Forsyth can do a game show. Leslie Crowther could do a game show. Bob Monkhouse could do a game show. Now it seems that you've pitched up on television in some naff reality show and they go, uh, what, so what do you want to do? And they go, oh, I think I'll be a presenter. They've got this, uh, this, this poor creature and her name is uh, Maria Fowler who makes the papers again today because of an alleged racist comment she made. And so she's had to go into the papers to try and defend herself to say that it could be harming her TV career. And the big question... Steve Allen. Morning. It's the customers, says Richie, that are getting ruder. Most won't even get off their phones while they half-talk to you. Quite why they think sales staff have nothing else to do than stand and wait while they have a full-on conversation is beyond me. Imagine if I took a call or started texting mid-sale. How would you feel if you wanted to buy something and I, perhaps the only salesperson on the floor were standing waiting for somebody to get off their mobile. I have been known to just walk away. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. See, when I worked in retail, I liked it. I mean, I, I, was, I was just taught to be polite to people. And perhaps it's a generational thing, because when I did it, I didn't... Um, I, you know, sometimes... The only person that we used to hate, the, the customers that we knew... Uh, would, would come in and they were account customers and they would say, oh, I like that, that rug there. And they wouldn't spend a lot of time looking, so you knew they had visitors for the weekend. You knew that you were going to send it out on the van on Friday and Monday morning they would phone you and you have to come and collect it because they'd borrowed it for the weekend. That's what they would do, and account customers were allowed to do that. I mean, it, but, but people thought they were going to buy the thing, but they didn't. So, and I, I used to hate on half-day Wednesday when we closed at one o'clock. When somebody would walk in and start wanting, sort of, you know, right, I need to arrange carpeting. What sort of, can we start, and you think, no, I want to go home. Why didn't you come in at 10 o'clock this morning when we were all here? We want to go home now. This is our break period. But of course, we don't do half-day closing, do we? We do this sort of half-day opening on Sunday, which is interesting, to say the least. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, watching the woman in M&S, who's getting a bit irate, saying, can you, can we, oh, we can, oh, we can pay now, can we? Oh, good. Almost like that. And, of course, the, the, the poor shop assistant... Didn't, there wasn't really any argument. There wasn't really much she could do about it. I'm a bit bored, I'm afraid, with Sasha Baron Cohen. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know him. I don't know him, you know, for any of his sort of characters. But he, he's, he's wanted to appear on chat shows on the television, but he only wants to do it in character. Well, who on earth wants to be that boring about an interview? Who wants to be that boring? And so here he is. He has a new um, uh, film... And he pitched up in New York, called called The Dictator. Well, I don't think I've ever seen a Sasha Baron Cohen film in my life. Wouldn't be remotely interested. No, no. I, 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 I seriously... I, no, not even, I didn't even like Ali G. Hated it even more when Richard Madeley started behaving like a complete idiot and doing this, this... Oh, ridiculous. Is it... Oh, doesn't... Just dreadful. Judy didn't have the faintest idea what was going on. Not a clue. Went right over her head. Not an iota there of blinking, of going, what is happening with Richard? Why is Richard wearing this hat? Is God, he sat there with Judy. Oh, dear me. There's another story in the paper today about a sex change. Uh, this is uh, a young man uh, who is now a girl called Jackie Green. 
uh, who was born Jack and is the youngest person in the UK to have a sex change uh, who has now reached the semi-final of the Miss England pageant. Now, with the best will in the world, and I'm trying to err on the side of caution here and trying to be polite, but unfortunately it's not really helping, he isn't a very pretty girl. You know, as, as, as a boy... You know, probably a pretty boy, but he isn't a very pretty girl. And so now they say he could be set to beat Miss England. If, if, when you look at the picture of the paper, you'll have to agree with me. There's no way that you could ever agree that this is this is sort of a great picture. Perhaps he just doesn't take a good picture and looks better in real life. Because I'm sort of looking here, and I'm, I'm looking at uh, at the picture of him with uh, her, with all her makeup on, and it's it's passable. But with no makeup on, it it just doesn't quite look right. It's also because she's wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, and I don't think that's very feminine. If you're going to be in the in the beauty pageant business, so that that's in the the paper today. Uh, she comes from Leeds and says, "I'm ecstatic to get through. I never expected it. It's been lovely to see the support from everybody. Uh, there is a lot of prejudice," uh, says her mum, but she's trying to make people understand it isn't a choice and it can be okay. Yes, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. I quite understand what, what, what sex changes are. I quite understand people, you know, living in the wrong body and people who have part sex changes and transvestites and trannies. And I, I quite understand that and tie lady boys and, and people saving up for operations because I've, I've done interviews on it before. I'm just sort of thinking to myself, I wonder how on earth they're going to explain this away at Miss England, whether or not they're going to go, yes, that's OK now, because, I mean, there are some really, really attractive sex changes out there. I mean, I'm not saying this one isn't attractive. In her own way, she's attractive, but certainly not up to not up to model standard, I didn't think. Certainly not up to model standard. 84850, steve at So here she is, Maria Fowler, hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Maria Fowler was dropped. She's been branded a racist uh, because of comments she made when she was uh, out in a nightclub with Marcus Collins. Um... It, it sort of got quite nasty, I'm afraid. And then she made another mistake the other day. She called him a, a name, which I can't even repeat on this programme. I can't even drop hints at what it is. Either way, she's not very pleasant. So now she's gone in the papers to say that she's battling to save a TV career, of which I wasn't even aware she had, uh, after being branded a racist. Uh, she's described this interview here that now she's feeling suicidal and back on antidepressants. It always, I mean, I, I have to sort of take a step back and say, wait a minute, you make a comment to somebody and then the next day you make a really, really foul comment and you're suicidal and on antidepressants. Whereas your fault, it was like Talisa. She makes a porno film of herself and then spends seven days lying on the bathroom floor. And you think to yourself, I think these people need to take a little bit of responsibility for their own actions. Murad. Oh, good morning, Steve. Morning. You well? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going back home from the long shift, so yeah, I'm, I'm feeling better now. Good lad, <laughs> good lad, good lad. Been busy tonight or not? Oh, I've been very busy and very wet, man. Very, <laughs> really, really. Terrible night, terrible night. It's called night. rain. It's called rain. <laughs> <laughs> we have it. Is it? Oh, unfortunately, you're in abundance. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no. By so, the way, first time quality of your show, and I'm a big fan. I've been listening to you for a long time. Good so, uh, I'd like to hear. I'm assuming you are sort of roughly the same age as me, probably about 27, 28. <laughs> Uh, very good, actually. 27, yeah, me and you. Absolutely. Yeah. See, always works. <laughs> so, you used to work in a pizza shop. Um, I've I, I worked in a pizza shop. I've worked in a um, Kentucky Fried Chicken shop. Oh, um, and uh, <laughs> I've seen it all. I'll, I'll tell you, man. The, the stories I can tell you are phenomenal. And this is I mean, because of you... rude, rude customers? Oh, I mean, rude is not really the word I would use, actually. Violent, you know, um, drunk. I mean, I could tell you a story once. I was working in a 
chicken shop on a Saturday night, yeah. and uh, we usually closed late. And we had a, a couple of really early, big, burly boys come in, really, really big, muscular and all that, and they were all hungry, well, all more or less drunk, yeah. and uh, they demanded free chicken for some reason. And yeah. uh, obviously, since it's a business and I, I don't own the shop, I, I obviously refused. Yeah. And they proceeded to punch the till, and they completely dislodged it, and it was actually attached to the desk, but they dislodged it completely, jumped over the actual counter, and uh, basically basically wanted to chase after me. Oh. And I had to pick up um, one of them, you know, fish baskets. <laughs> the, um, you know, the chip baskets were full of hot oil. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I had to pick that up and start swinging to get them away from me. That's how uh, dangerous it was. And I had to leg around the back. <laughs> the trouble is, I think anybody who actually works in one of these places, and you do late night, you know the majority of your customers are going to be drunk. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, see, uh, it was I very see dangerous. it here all the time. You know, we have a place around, there's lots of places around here, and they have to serve drunks. Yeah. <laughs> They're not, well, some of them are really nice, actually. They're very, like, you mm. know, they, they open their purse and they go, oh, 50s, and they go, take what you want. And I'm thinking, no, I'll... How about you give it to me, actually? Yeah, it's, it's a lot <laughs> easier. Some of them yeah, I mean, well, you, you, you are absolutely right. You have to put up with with a lot. I mean, I've I've seen it. I've seen it on the television programmes, and I've sat there in disbelief, thinking, you know, these poor people who are standing there trying to make a living, and then somebody comes in, and as you say, you know, you get two or three big beefy blokes, and they, give us free free chicken. No, give us free chicken. No, and then they start coming at you. And you think you're you're prepared to risk going to prison for an assault. For a piece of chicken, you're either, you know, completely of limited intelligence, you're either in the remedial class at school, or you just really are brain dead. You know, it is the classic case of the lights are on, but nobody's home. Or you just really like Kentucky Fried Chicken, and you haven't got any money. Well, actually, you generally have got money. But you're right, sometimes you get nice people, Murad, and you get people who are who are actually quite pleasant, you can have a laugh with. But the whole idea is get the customer in, get them served, get them out the door. That's why it's called fast food. That's why I really hate it. When you go to a so-called fast food place and it isn't ready. And they've opened the doors. Why open the door if it's not ready? Classic case, Waterloo Station, Burger King. The amount of times you stand there, you've got to wait for it to go through the whole process. I mean, it's just, it's called fast food. I've just missed a train. Sorry, I'm just doing, oh, God, I can't even be bothered if you're too stupid. I get so cross with things. So, so cross. Like people playing with their hair, you know, that drives it. People sit in, I used to do it when I used to have long hair. I used to twist my hair around my finger. And it really, it's the only thing that winds me up more than that is, I can't, well, I can't think of anything that winds me up, you know. I've, I've been known to actually throw things at people and play with their hair. <clears throat> I'm not going to make a big, big deal about it this morning, but I'm just just letting you know. So, as Frances Barber laments the disappearance of older women's faces, and as she's regular on LBC, we've woken her up, OK? We'll have a chat to her after the news at six o'clock this morning. So, uh, have a little... Little chat there. Uh, Simon Cowell, stop the sex jibes or else. I totally agree. It's now overshadowing the programme. Uh, we all pray that Will I Am will go back to America and stay there with his little clothes collection. It's all very odd. And uh, Britain snubbing the Euro bail out, plus the weather alert. Gales, floods and snow, I'm afraid. I love to be the, the bringer of good news first thing in the morning, just when you think we've just had, Steve, a fantastic bank holiday, not really, uh, and now we've got uh, Tuesday and it's wet again. And the question is asked by Alison Phillips, columnist in the Daily Mirror this morning, why are we creating a nation of girl trolls? 
These are the people who go onto internet sites. This is after a girl from The Voice was targeted by girl trolls, calling her ugly and uh, various other disgusting names, which we cannot repeat on this programme. And you think to yourself, what you have to do, if ever this occurs to you, you go to the police. It's as simple as that. They can find these people so, so quickly. They can find them, you can bang them into court, and the courts come down really hard now. And, uh, And you give them a taste of their own medicine. Always works, let me tell you. I wouldn't like to tell you how many cases of internet trolls we had in court the other week, but uh, I shall save that for another another programme. News is coming up with Sam Pittis at 6 o'clock. It's LBC 97.3. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Nick and the team with you after 7. I'll give you a rundown of what he's doing in a couple of minutes' time. Steve Allen. We were deciding earlier on wh- wh- whether I was middle class or working class. And I said, well, I came from working class stock, but unfortunately, talking on the radio. In fact, uh, Dell from Tilbury says, sorry, but I consider anybody, Steve, who works on the radio as middle class, since talking isn't really a job. I beg to differ, excuse me, thank you very much. Of course it's a job. Of course it's a job. I could do other things as well. I could probably do Potter's Wheel if I put my mind to it. Mike in South End says, I heard somewhere that middle class shower before work, working class shower after work. Thank you very much indeed. So she's in all the papers today. We're all very excited. They've done nothing but talk about this overnight on LBC. And we sort of picked up the uh, the baton and ran with it. The actress Frances Barber has lamented the disappearance of older women's faces from television and has revealed she's saving up for a facelift. So I've got a bit of change with me on, on, on my pocket today. She, she told uh, the Radio Times that we will never see on camera faces like Betty Davis anymore. And she could never imagine Strictly Come Dancing being presented by a woman who was the same age as Sir Bruce Forsyth, which is 84. Luckily, Frances joins us on the line now. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. <laughs> so listen, <laughs> so a small interview that's now sort of blown up out of all proportion. Well, I am a, a little agog at the controversy it appears to have caused, I have to say, because I did think it was just a tiny little interview, uh, part of a junket for the Radio Times. But nevertheless, the fact that it has been now splashed all over the front of the Telegraph kind of reinforces my argument, possibly, doesn't yeah, it? That, it does. uh, I am possibly, I've, you know, put my key into the ignition and said, you know, I, um, I have as much pressure upon me as everybody I know in my profession, to Mm. look as young as I possibly can. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite and pretend that, therefore, I'm not going to do something about it. But I grew up with those kind of faces that I call, like, nana faces, you know? Peggy Ashcroft and Margaret Rutherford Mm. and those sort of wonderful, squashy faces that you just wanted your nan to cuddle you on a Saturday afternoon when she was feeding you, you know, Mm. toast and tea. And I don't think we're going to see those on uh, screen anymore. Well, I actually said earlier on that I think in one of the last films Elizabeth Taylor made, even though she was an old woman, she looked very young because she'd had surgery over the years. And, and Indeed. It, I, I found it a little bit disturbing that she didn't look, as you say, like our nanas used to look, who yeah. looked like old ladies. Well, the, and the pressure, you see, I'm not going to, that's why I said I'm not going to be a hypocrite and pretend that, therefore, that I'm not going to bow under that pressure either. Because I do know, and I'm certainly not going to name names, quite a few of my contemporaries and a few, few years older than me, who have had proper big facelifts or a little bit of restyling mm. or, you know, fillers or Botox or all the kinds of things that now um, everybody appears to be having, as well as that Hollywood smile. You mm. know, do you remember when French and yes. Saunders years ago did the Baywatch spoof and we yes. all laughed about it? And now... Everyone on television has a Hollywood smile. And so bit by bit by bit, we have turned towards the American 
version of how a woman should look. And I, my, I lament the fact that, therefore, everyone kind of looks the same. Mm. There isn't that... That sense of individuality and that sense of, of just, I don't know, comfort, something that, I mean, if you think of the demographic of who watches television, it is generally the soaps are the biggest um, viewing audiences, mm. and they're generally watched by middle-aged women, <laughs> and therefore, I would have thought we would want to therefore portray them as they are sitting in their armchairs watching, because... That's who they're looking at, isn't it? That's why June Brown is so popular. That's mm. why Barbara Knox is so popular. That's why, you know, the dear divine lamented um, Betty Driver, mm. we adored her. Because they look and like real people. They look like real people that we grew up with. I'm from a council estate in Wolverhampton. I heard you talking about class, you know. <laughs> I don't, therefore, I don't know what class I am anymore. I'm day classé, if that horrible word, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and, oh, by the way, I would like to point out, somebody texted me, who one of your millions of fans, because as you know, I'm a huge fan of your show, and said, Steve Allen said that he saw you naked early in the morning on LBC. <laughs> and I would like to point out to your army of listeners that it was only a naked face, wasn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely, Steve? a naked face. Yes, I, I, did, I did then say, actually, later on, I have had Leslie Joseph naked in the back of my car. Apparently so. Yes. But no, you naked face, because when you do radio, and I, I said before, it's, 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 it's going to the theatre, you look at people on stage in beautiful clothes, and then they come out of the stage door and they've got tracksuit bottoms on and the makeup off because that's that's what you use for your craft of course of course and i and i'm not against cosmetics or cosmetic surgery mm. it is just the fact that i suppose my my sadness about her the way we we have now developed is that it is sort of you are thought you're looked down upon actually if you now not only look your age but you're supposed to look younger than your years yes. so you know i'm 54 i don't know anymore what a 54-year-old is supposed to look like, because certainly on screen, mm. um, nobody frowns, nobody has any lines. I mean, it's obviously Hollywood is the nth degree, but I think it's crept in bit by bit, and the percolation has sort of, you know, dwindled down in that we all now have to look pretty flawless. And so I'm slightly surprised about the controversy, because I thought we'd had all of this with Arlene Phillips being replaced mm. by Alicia Dixon. And I'm not a celebrity, I'm just a jobbing actress. But I think that it's actually also percolated into our industry as well now. It, it, it is interesting that whenever you see a woman and they go, and this woman is 73, doesn't she look <laughs> fantastic? And you think, well, well, so what? I know. Well, also, that's the other thing, that every, every newspaper in the land, not just the Daily Mail, is obsessed with yeah. women's age. Yes. And the whole Samantha Brick Farrago that blew up, it, I, well, whether it was in her face or not, I mean, she's probably very wealthy on the back of it, but, you know, saying that other women didn't like her because she was so beautiful, yes. everybody had a little worth to chip in on that mm. debate. Um, and it's, it is, it's just something that I suppose it, it, it gets to all of us. And it's not just women that suffer from it as well. I mean, I know plenty of men who mm. also had a little nip and a tuck, you oh, know? good grief. I, I, I know men who've actually aged themselves up so they could get more work. Well, that's true as well. And they often leave their hair to go that sort mm. of lovely sort of grey George Clooney look, don't yes, they? Yes. So that it actually gives them a bit more gravitas and that they look, you know, the middle-aged man that's sexier. So, I mean, it, it's just we live in a society and we just have to face facts that is very um, 
faces. <laughs> yes. And I'll tell you one thing. I, I mean, I, it's interesting that you actually say, I'm 54, I feel 26 and I act 12. Mm. Roughly the same for me, because when people say, act your age, you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to... What do you mean, act your <laughs> age? What does that mean? I know. I've never... I mean... I don't be- believe I've grown up, and I don't really want to. I hope I no. grow into a juicy old woman. Oh, heavens above, and... you're there already. <laughs> I'm there already. <laughs> I might not have a nana face, but I, uh, I certainly will have those sensibilities, and I, I don't know. It's, it's just a debate that'll go on and on, isn't it? And I think it has now reached a level, that, a point of no return. We're, 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 we're on that trajectory, and I can't see we're ever going to get off it. There was a very interesting book that came out some years ago, and it was called The Casting Couch. And they said the only actress in Hollywood who never went through it was Betty Davis. So, ah, yeah. well, there you go. You see my old heroine. She keeps coming. And isn't it interesting that basically every woman I know adores Betty Davis? Yes, if ever course. there's a debate, Betty or Joan, they always go for Betty. Yes, every single time. That, yeah. that great. Cl- I remember seeing her on, on Wogan over here, and I remember thinking, it's Betty Davis. It's Betty Davis. Francis, lovely to talk to you. Steve. God All bless. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Francis Barber, who'll be joining, jo- who'll be joining, be joining Susan Bookbinder on the morning news on Thursday of this week. And uh, she's playing uh, currently in Silk in the BBC One courtroom drama. And she's got a film out called May I Kill You. We get all the best people on this programme, you know. Sorry to tell you, it's Tuesday. You have to go back to work. I'll give you a rundown in a moment of what Nick Ferrari is doing after the news at uh, 7 o'clock. But it's now 14 minutes past 6. LBC 97 Steve Allen. 18 minutes past 6. Tuesday morning. It's the 8th of uh, May. Guess who's doing the, uh, the papers for Nick Ferrari this morning? Only the editor of the Radio Times, Ben Preston, which is where Francis's uh, article appeared. And uh, so he'll be in going through. Uh, this morning, they're going to be talking about uh, Europe. They're going to be ta- talking about the anti-austerity elections in France. Actually, I've, I've had a number of uh, text messages from people listening in, in other countries, mainly in America, saying, you know, what, what do the Brits think about the French elections? Well, you'll find out this morning with uh, Nick Ferrari. And also the walkers and the cyclists to be rewarded. I don't want to reward any cyclists at the moment, I'm afraid. I have a very bad deal with, with cyclists. They're all trying to run me over everywhere I go. Every, every time I see them jumping traffic lights, I always go, and what colour did you think they were? I'm afraid I get a little bit... It's a little bit like working in a shop. You end up being just a, a little bit rude to people. You can't help it. But as you know, if we're all on the, on the roads together, it's fine. Lynn says, you're quite right. In my day, you saved up for things. Our first colour television was from Radio Rentals, the old money slot type that took 50 P's. Crikey. Um, for the way you describe your childhood, Steve, and the things you didn't had, I would say you were middle class. I know, I'm, I'm getting quite, quite depressed. Frances Barber was telling us that she's working class because she came from a council estate, up north, as it were. Um, and one here, Steve, I started saving for my retirement on my 66th birthday. I'm doing it at the rate of £200 a week. So you're saving £800 a month. Well, that's not bad going, is it? If you can save £800 a month, 9600 a year, 12, yeah, 1296 9600 I don't know, it's not a lot, is it? 9600 a year. Um, and Pete says, these singing talent shows have run their, their course now and are now boring. Bring back Noel Edmonds or Game for a Laugh. I love the candid camera type shows, which Jeremy Beadle did. Out on DVD. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, the definition of working class is a total income of £30,000 a year. Really? 30,000... Says who? Yeah, who? Where is this defined? That that's the the working. I mean, I know lots of people who are working class. You know, um, who will sort of tarmac your drive. They they probably think they were working class people who are scrap metal dealers. They're earning more than thirty grand a year. 
A lot more than 30 grand a year. Uh, Steve, uh, I prefer nice presenters. I don't want nasty ones. They do on the television. That's the trouble. That's why the voice is dying on its proverbial. They're hemorrhaging audience very, very quickly. And the reason being is that uh, nobody's actually saying anything controversial. I've often said if you want to be a successful game show uh, contestant, they're looking for people with a bit of edge. So if you remember when we have I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, it's, it's the bland ones. They're nice, but they kick them out first because they say, no, no, th- there's no point in watching you. Uh, I agree, Steve. American TV women all look the same, but do we, the viewers, really want to see clones? I'd appreciate normal women on television. Well, that's exactly what Francis was saying. Francis was saying, you know, I, I sort of like the idea. We don't see people like Betty Driver. You know, in Coronation Street, we look at Rita, and she's, uh, you know, she's always done up. And she's all, she's always nice, but she's an old lady and she's got the lines of an older lady. When we were looking at June Brown, she was on the television the other day trying to discover more about her ancestors, one of whom was a, uh, a boxer, bare-knuckle boxer, called uh, Louis Bitton. And, uh, and June, I saw June Brown's hands, and they're like what I call old lady hands. You know, she looks like a proper person. And she smokes a lot. I should have asked Frances, actually, whether she smokes. I'm guessing she does. I'm guessing she does. In fact, I know she does. I've just remembered because she'd been outside before. I remember now. Yes, actually. Uh, Andy in Tonbridge says, can you wish Laura all the very best for this week? Exam week and a big essay. Hand in day. Oh, dear. Not so good, is it? Awful time on the trains at the weekend, Steve. I bought two first-class tickets for my little girl and one on the Trans-Pennine Express. We were going to visit my parents in Liverpool from Lincolnshire. Apart from somebody coming in and putting their second-class banana skin in our first-class bin, all was OK. To the same change of trains at Manchester, an East Midlands service, no first-class coach, and due to the football game in Liverpool, it was like a cattle wagon. We managed to get a seat facing the wrong way, and I swear to God, I've had more room on a fairground ride. It was the same coming back. No first class till Manchester, then back to normality. I really resent paying 140 quid and only getting half of what I wanted. However, as I don't have a computer, I used my dad's and went straight to the LBC 97.3 website. I wanted to know what you all look like. I wasn't disappointed. Thank you very much indeed. I, I thank you for the tour of Twickenham, Steve. I loved it, especially the noisy duck and the film credits. Yes, that's still up there, actually. Which is quite interesting. It makes Twickenham look quite interesting. We filmed it in the early hours of the morning with the mist coming in off the river. It's quite pretty, actually. Oh, well done. You've done it. Oh, there you go. You will be going... Oh, no, you haven't. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, obviously not going to be entering. Sorry, we've just had a bit of a disaster with one of the microphones. We're, these microphones, I can only describe them as designed by a complete lunatic because they're suspended in the middle with with um, tape, uh, with um, like elastic bands going round them. So I don't know why they're like that. There must be some logical reason. I can't think of it off the top of my head because I've worked on so many. But once one of the bands falls off, the whole lot fall off and you're left with a microphone that's sort of on the floor practically. It's a, li- it's a little bit difficult, I'm afraid. So while we've been chatting away, a lot of other people have been sitting there trying to, trying to put them back together again and then giving up. And I like the, I like the giving up thing, I'm afraid. I think that, that's very good. Uh, today at Waterloo Station... It's a free apple ties drink. I bet there won't be by the time I get back. I always miss the free stuff. People always tell me about the free things, and I, I, I never get them, I'm afraid. And um, do you ever go into the park in Twickenham, says Stephen, take pictures of parakeets? Um, I know they bug the heck out of some people, including Eamon Holmes, but I like them. They're certainly noisy. On a Saturday morning at around about five o'clock, if ever I'm up watering plants, which I am prone to be, the only time you can get out there. And, and all of a sudden, 20,000 of them go overhead. You hear them before you see them. 
It's very, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. I mean, I don't take pictures of them, but they, they really are absolute the noisiest things ever. But, but they, look, they look great, as far as I'm... Uh, Steve, staff who don't want to work, perfect example. The guy sitting at Waterloo train station, uh, supposedly sitting there giving information to travellers. On Saturday night, I nearly said to him, why don't you go home? It was so much trouble for him to tell me when the next train was due to leave. But where do you complain? I'll tell you what you do. You always, if, if you really want to complain well... You find out who the, who the managing director is, and you, you get his name. It's easy to find out. You just call up the company and say, excuse me, who is the managing director? And they'll, they'll give you the person's name, and you write personally to them. And I guarantee you, you'll always get some sort of result back, which was good. Uh, Bob says, 50 years ago exactly. Tuesday, 8th of May, 1962, was the final day of trolley buses operating in London. Routes 601 and 667, which serve Twickenham, were among those which last operated on that date. So trolley buses. Hands up who remembers trolley buses? Me. Me, 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 me. I remember trolley buses. Um, and, uh, and very good they were too, actually, as, as far as I remember. As far as I remember. Quickly, let's deal with a few more. Francis Barb was talking about... Um, about uh, uh, no, 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 no. Put that one back. Put that one back. Use this one. Okay, I have to explain. We had a bit of a disaster with it. Okay, a little bit of a disaster. Okay, so somebody, a man will, will come in in a minute and fiddle with it. And uh, and you should be grateful. And then it'll work perfectly. It, it was fine earlier on. It's worked all night. Then all of a sudden it didn't work all night. So it sort of gave up. Front pages of the uh, the papers this morning. We're having a microphone incident day. It's all a bit exciting. You know, if you're listening in stereo, you're not anymore. OK. Uh, other stories coming up in the, uh, the papers today. Trisha Penrose, my story in the Daily Mirror. As far as I remember, Trisha Penrose, if memory serves me, is from Heartbeat. I think she is. Uh, why Labour can make a difference and the Tories are plain wrong. David Miliband's devastating verdict on the government. Uh, save our show. This, I mean, out of all the stories that are around at the moment, including the, uh, the Al-Qaeda story, this makes the front of the Daily Mirror today. And uh, it's, they say The Voice is signing Kylie Minogue and Cheryl Cole after a ratings collapse. Why would you would think that putting Cheryl Cole or uh, Kylie Minogue on a show is going to save it? I've got no idea. Otherwise, you might just stick them on every show if they're the saviours of it. There's no evidence that Cheryl Cole could save anything at all, I'm afraid. Uh, the Sun on the front page. Here we go, front page. Can Shezza rescue the voice? Answer, no, she can't. But she does need a platform to sing her latest single. Because at the moment, she's getting very little coverage of it at all. Dustin Hoffman saved a jogger's life. He had a heart attack. He was in Hyde Park. And Dustin Hoffman happened to be there. And, uh, and dialed 999. So, uh, so well done to him. A cup and saucer. Used once by Lady Gaga, has sold for £46,000 on the internet. Good grief, honestly. Such is art, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the Express, Simon Cowell talking tough over a new TV deal. Uh, the Daily Star, Blackburn going down. Blackburn nil. Wigan won. And Simon Cowell to stop the sex jibes or else, because it is now actually getting uh, out of hand. Uh, Talisa's performance on Britain's Got Talent, widely criticised. It was for her a single. It's number one. And uh, the fans didn't like it at all. Can't sing, can't dance, couldn't really do anything at all. But the front of the Daily Mail, don't turn your back on the on the elderly, please. The Prime Minister has been urged in impassioned plea from campaigners who fear coalition won't tackle the elderly care crisis. But in fact, their main stories, we've all gone potty for pudsy. This is the Britain's Got Talent star with millions of fans and it's a dancing dog. Okay, that's all I can tell you. It's a dancing dog, and it's lovely if you like dancing dogs. I'm not a huge fan of them, as you've probably gathered from the programme, but, uh, you know, 
It looks okay. I just don't know where it goes after that. I suppose they pitch up. We went to the Essex show last year, and they had some some sheepdog trials where they were sending dogs through, you know, hay bales and stuff like that. And that was quite exciting. That uh, they didn't actually have a dancer. Oh, perhaps they did have a dancing one, actually, yes. Listen, back with you tomorrow morning, and it'll be Wednesday, OK? You have remembered, haven't you? Bank holiday yesterday, today back to normal, because it's raining, OK? Like it was yesterday and the day before and the day before that. And you've got it all this week as well. Apart from Saturday, when it's going to be quite dry, but very cold. So you'll have those cold winds coming in. Go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, to find out about podcasting. Our free podcast will be up there in around about 30 minutes for all you lovers of celebrityism and show business. Have yourself a lovely day. Nick and the team with you after the news at seven. Coming up next on the LBC Morning News, it's Susan Bookbinder. As a landlord, I let my property 